does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. 75 years old, and I still wake up with a little guy saluting me. It's the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Come on, let's wake up. Gotta wake up. Are you sure you want to wake up to this? Come on now, wake up. I can't wait to wake up. Wake up, idiot. We will begin this Thursday morning with a welcome to the world. Yesterday at about 10.40 in the morning, He'll always be little gas to me, but on the birth <laughs> certificate, it will read Mason Donald Sweeney. Um, so shout out to Andy and especially Nikki Sweeney. Sounds like things are going well as they approach 24 hours with their newborn. Texted Andy this morning and he said that uh, Donald was uh, his grandfather who loved Nikki, and so that's a little bit of the background on Mason Donald Sweeney. So, congrats again to Andy and Nikki. Sounds like Nikki's doing pretty well. Um, so, uh, thank you to everybody out there that has either reached out to us or reached out to Andy directly. Um, I know he is a, as you can expect, the energy is uh, felt through these text messages from Andy. And so it sounds like things are going pretty well up at Community. I am Kevin Bowen. James Boyd, again, is with us uh, in for Andy. It'll be Mark Dykton and I tomorrow. Uh, James, good morning. Good morning. It's early again. (laughs) How was the alarm based off your alarm yesterday? Was it easier, harder? Not that bad, actually. I I usually get up on the alarm, but what I do is I've done it since high school. But the alarm's usually not at 6 whatever. Yeah, that's true. But what I do is I'll set three apart five minutes apart and so i can always tell myself if you wake up late on like the third alarm and it's 6 15 you can make up you know 10 15 minutes as opposed to waking up at like seven and the show is starting so i've done that to catch flights and it's never failed me yet there was a uh, one morning with the previous host jake query who i know you know uh where mark dykton had to call him at six fifty nine and mm-hmm. That was the alarm for Jake that morning. <laughs> so thankfully, you have not done that here on either of these two mornings. And thank you um, for showing up today. Again, good Thursday morning to everybody out there. It is another Roy G. Biv morning above Riley Towers. Looks beautiful outside here in Indianapolis. A little bit of a fall crisp, I think, as we approach, what, week five now of the high school football season. It'll be Warren and BD. So east side against west side coming up tomorrow night on these airwaves and Uh, We are now at day two of the Colts practice schedule for the week. Isaiah Franklin, he is going to join us at 7.30. James Boyd, if I were making a list of Colts players I would like to have on the radio, I don't get very far on the list before Isaiah Franklin's name appears. I am always look forward to those conversations. Uh, Honest, candid, leader, Good, great game on Sunday. Um, I'm looking forward to him joining us here in about a half hour. Absolutely. I spent 10 minutes in the locker room talking to him yesterday. I think we all did. He's one of the guys who gets a scrum because he's warranted at this warranted that at this point, but there's good stuff in pretty much all of it. If you ask him about a different player, about his own play, the opponent, and yesterday's topic was turf, and he sounded off about how 
bad turf is for athletes and for football players in particular when they're planting and trying to cut and how your body feels afterward. And so I thought what he said was very candid. And he now has the career, you know, five years in to, to say those things without, right. mm-hmm. you know, reprimand and things like that. Yeah, he has um he's earned that. And it's a hell of a story. It's a seventh round pick and you know, at Syracuse he was a decorated a player on and off the field. He was, I think, the first three time captain there in over a century. I know yeah. you've gotten deep into Zaire's story and um, I think there's a lot of, you know, avenues we can go down with him when he joins us here coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll also get a little bit of view on the opponent coming up for Sunday. That'll be with the great John McClain, one of a kind when John McClain Hops on these airwaves, so looking forward to that conversation with him coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. For those thinking or, I guess, unsure of where to turn tonight, it is Amazon for the Thursday night game. So last week when we had Kansas City and Detroit, it was NBC. It was opening night, and it was, I feel like NBC is one of the few channels right now that everyone is getting. Um, But tonight it will be Amazon. It'll be Vikings and Eagles uh, Eagles approaching. I thought it was a touchdown favorite. Might have fallen a little bit to like six and a half or something like that. So um, that's a that's a solid matchup. I mean, Justin Jefferson, Darius Slay would be getting your popcorn ready for that one. But the Vikings own one on the year, and the Eagles want to know after beating the Patriots. I think that will be one where. I'm interested to see how they defend Justin Jefferson because he kind of had a, I think he had a quiet-ish game against the Eagles last season. He did, but at the same time, <laughs> it's probably because they had to bracket him and follow him because anytime you blink, it seems like he's making a play and he's picked up right where he left off. I think he had like a what yeah, eight he had a big game in week like one, fifty last week, and and so they're trying to get back on track. That kid is special though; he is really, really good. He is, and obviously we saw it last season when uh, the Vikings came back and beat the Colts in that historic uh, second half. <laughs> that was the loudest place I've ever been in in my life. I Open think, air press box. I think that's one of the more underrated NFL road venues. Oh, it's number one for me. That place is nice. Yeah. I walked in. I was like, you know what? It looked like a billion dollars went into yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, it's a great looking stadium. <laughs> amazing. But I, I feel like at times, like the glitz and the glamour of a stadium doesn't necessarily equate to like great atmosphere. But now where you're going to be on Sunday, I think that's one of the worst atmospheres. I yeah, think it's, Houston, a, it's a little weird. Um, the setup is a little bit weird, but I mean, like I said last time I was there, it was weird. So <laughs> we'll see if we get an actual game with an ending that is not in a tie. And so I think this is an opportunity. We've talked about it for the Colts to, you know, get back on track as far as some of these division games, which they haven't won a lot of recently. I think you had the stat yesterday. What is it? One for eight in their last yeah, nine or something like that. Absolutely embarrassing as a franchise. Yeah, you've won one of your last eight AFC South games. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, your last road win in the division was there um, in the 2021 season. So I, I don't want to harp on wins and losses on a frequent basis this season, and I know that's a loser mentality comment, but that's just not the most important thing in my mind with this year. But I do think, James, as I look to Sunday, I think, man, this is one of those that the Pacers, it was entertaining losses, this and that, but some of those times when you get into the final minute situations, it can do a lot of good for you if you do feel that winning feeling and get used to it. And you don't want to get used to losing. You don't want to get loose to, used to saying, oh boy, here we go again, five minutes to go. We're not going to finish this one off. Like Those are things that I think you got to sprinkle in a little bit of the other side of it at times. Yeah, being close 
stinks. You got to be able to get over the hump at some point. I remember going to a couple of Indiana Fever games earlier this year. They were like five and seven to start the year, and then they went on this streak right before the All Star break where they lost like eight in a row, and it was like six of them were by single digits. That stings, and so I think similar to the Colts, you want to come out and say, okay, we were close last week, but we don't want to be close again. And on paper, you're a better team. I mean, we could talk all day about this team wanting to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. like all teams want to, but in theory, they should not be losing to Houston this season, in my opinion. It should be them both times, but they definitely shouldn't go winless against them like they did last year. Uh, he is James Boyd from The Athletic. I am Kevin Bell, and Mark Dykton is with us. As always, again, Zaire Franklin going to join us coming up here at 7.30. If we look back on the Colts' first practice of the week yesterday, I do think there are some interesting things to take away from the injury report. For one, Zach Moss progressing to a full participant. My expectation is that he is going to be the starter coming up on Sunday. Um, I would say that is a good early sign in the week for that, and that kind of couples with the lack of running back moves they made Mm -hmm. on Tuesday. Uh, Anthony Richardson was not on the injury report at all. And, and I don't know if that was an assumption, but sometimes you have guys that practice all week long, even practice full all week long, but they still are listed on the injury report. Uh, Richardson did have some pretty, I, I, I thought, <laughs> candid comments about how he felt physically on Monday. Uh, we will play that audio here in a little bit, but he was not on it. And then James of note, Quentin Nelson, who left for, I want to say it was three snaps, four snaps, was it three? Yep. He left for three snaps on Sunday with a toe injury. He did not practice. I did not see him when we were out there for the open media availability. He he walked out there, but he was just standing around in a t-shirt. Was there any boot or anything on that toe? No, just regular shoes. I I saw him in the locker room. I mean, whatever, slight, slight limp, but, you know, nothing, no boot or anything like that. And then Braden Smith, uh, knee and ankle that was the listing on the injury report. Brain Smith played every single snap on Sunday. So it's a Wednesday injury report. It's day one. I don't think it's time to go DEFCON, but if you were <laughs> going to list guys that you would really, really like to have, Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith, of course, would be high on the list because they're backups. Braden Smith's backup is a rookie, and Quentin Nelson's backup is a guy that before Sunday in Josh Sills, he had not played a single offensive snap in the NFL. Yeah, not an ideal situation to be in. But again, it's early in the week. Don't need to hit the panic button just yet. Right. But And I guess Drew Ogletree, right? That was the other one that yeah, did not practice. Exactly. We'll see where he's at, but he got his bell rung pretty good with the, you know, concussion protocol. He remains in there. He was out there yesterday, obviously, with his teammates, but something to keep an eye on going forward. And it's unfortunate for him because he couldn't control that you make a big play and the oh, ball yeah. just comes across yeah. and, and clears you. So that, that was a head uh, head hunting play by that uh Cisco guy he's a dude that almost well I guess he did knock Richardson out of the game late as well yeah yeah and I thought the Drew Ogletree hit was not warranted and he got a flag for that but the I saw some you know people on Twitter debating you know is he a dirty player for the Anthony Richardson hit and it's like no that is a yeah, that was legal. Yes, Anthony, you know, alluded to that is a welcome to the league rook moment. And so he needs to get down on those types of plays. And I thought it was funny that uh we brought up the sliding again. He's like, Yeah, I think I might start thinking about that. Yeah. And I'm like, Yeah, you need to because <laughs> you're the franchise guy. And it I mean, I'm not saying I'm rooting for the team or anything like that, but it does scare me from a media standpoint. I want to cover the number four pick. Oh, of course. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I don't want yeah. you to go down yeah. early. So, again, slide, my friend. We got to learn how to slide. There was another thing that Richardson said yesterday, James, that I want to get to a little bit later in regards to Sunday. 
And I think this is one that Richardson circles a little bit. And I know you and I have heard this story from Richardson, but there was a game last year in college that he circled on the schedule, Mm -hmm. and it did not go well for him at all. And it honestly led to a little bit of him kind of changing up some things off the field. And I I don't know if Sunday is the exact same situation, but I do think there are some similar feelings for Anthony Richardson uh, in, in what he is going to face on Sunday, and that's stuff we can get into. Coming up a little bit later, again, Zaire Franklin, Colts captain, he joins us at 7.30. You are listening to The Wake Up Call with KB and James Boyd today on 93.5-1075, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Cincinnati Reds are teasing Kevin Bowen once again. The Reds are the 1-1 run one run win, easy for me to say, <laughs> over the Tigers yesterday, and they got some help as well. So what the wild card standings look like now. By the way, Mark, are you nervous about your Cubs at all? No, that was a bad series okay. against the Rockies. All right, all right. okay. Heard that one before. Phillies up three and a half in the top spot. Cubs up two. Reds and Diamondbacks now tied for the third and final wild card spot. Don't look now, but here come the Red Lakes. I shouldn't do that after that little shot you just had. But Beautiful to hear. Thank you, Mark, for that. (laughs) Maturity through the roof right now. Uh, Giants and Marlins a half game back. So right now, Reds and Diamondbacks tied for the final wildcard spot and a half game back. It's the Giants and the Marlins. And last night we did get an an official clinching from the Atlanta Braves for the sixth straight year. They are your NL East champions. James Boyd, injury report yesterday for the Colts. Yes, sir. So, Zach Moss, full participant. Obviously, we expected that because they didn't sign any other running backs. So, he should be RB1 come Sunday in Houston. Braid Smith was out with a knee-slash-ankle injury. Quentin Nelson out with a toe injury. And then Drew Ogletree out with a concussion still in the protocols. Obviously, it's concerning to have two starting linemen not practicing, but it's early in the week. You know, those guys get banged up every now and then. They're in the trenches, but... You know, we'll see come Thursday, Friday, what it, the report is looking like. So, everyone out there, relax, woosah, breathe. The rookie quarterback will be protected. You sound like you're helping out Andy's wife right now. Yeah, I'm trying in, to, you know. In the hospital. Th- therapeutic, man. I'm trying to just pass it along, what I know, you know. Yeah, it is funny how the meter just rises from Wednesday to Thursday to Friday in terms of, okay, the level of concern. Yeah. It just slowly moves up a little bit day in and day out. If Drew Ogletree cannot go, I would think that would mean the NFL debut for Will Mallory. Obviously, yep. local uh, name here in terms of uh, the grandson of Bill Mallory, Kurt Mallory, the Indiana State coach, nephew. Um, so, uh, looking forward to that if he does give it a go coming up on Sunday. Tonight, Thursday night football, it will be the Eagles and the Vikings. Six and a half points. Mark Dykton, you taking the Eagles at home with six and a half? Taking the Eagles. Not that sounded like stuff. a little hesitation. Nope. Yeah, I, I don't think. I don't think there will be any hesitation. I think they go up pretty early and they, you know, get by. James Boyd, I'll take them. I think that Philly was like rusty last week. Yeah, they, they, to be better. they were a little choppy. To be that fair, that kind of happens in Foxborough. Yeah, and the weather wasn't great. But that's true. Yeah, we'll see how uh, the Eagles respond here coming up in Week 2. Again, the Vikings, they had one of the more clunky performances in Week 1 with a home loss to the Bucks. All right, on the other side, it will be Zaire Franklin joining us off his 
18 tackle performance in week one. The one of the captains of the Colts. Always enjoy our conversations with Zaire. Uh, he's going to give us a ring coming up on his way into the facility. Zaire Franklin on the other side. It is the wake up call with KB and Andy. I am Kevin Bowen. He is James Boyd. Mark Dykin is with us. And for those that missed it, let me throw this in again. Mason Donald Sweeney, born yesterday at 10.40 in the morning. So congrats to Andy. Congrats to his wife, Nikki. Sounds like things are going well. So Mason Donald Sweeney, the newest member of the wake-up call with KB <laughs> and Andy. Good Thursday morning to you. Thanks for tuning in on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. The Wake-Up Call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Zaire Franklin going to join us here in a few. Kevin Bowen, James Boyd on this Thursday morning in Indianapolis. It is a beautiful Thursday. Again, Andy and his wife, Nikki, welcome in Mason Sweeney yesterday morning. Little gas is how I (laughs) will refer to him as. I think Andy would appreciate that. Little gas. I think he would. I don't know if Nikki would, but <laughs> nonetheless, I guess I only have to deal with Andy right now. So, um, congrats to them. It sounds like things are going pretty smooth. They're as smooth as they can be on that. Uh, Andy said they actually got a decent night of sleep. So, uh, Mark, you and I were laughing before the show started. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of the all the help you have because yeah. the nurses don't come home with you. The round the clock <laughs> care of the doctors and nurses. Yeah, when they say, "Oh, we can take them for a little bit," get some. Do sleep. not budge. Yeah. You, Do not you take that and you run with it because <laughs> once you get discharged, it's reality hits. I'm following all this away for yeah. like five years from now. Rosie was born like three months into COVID. It was June of COVID. And so at that point, you couldn't like just send them to the nursery like that. Oh, and oh boy. That was different. But boy, when Max was born, it was like, especially when Notre Dame lost to Marshall the day after Max was born, <laughs> it was the nurses were like, Are you yelling on a third down? I'm like, Yes. And Max will be yelling at some point in his life. <laughs> Did you ever talk to Gilly about that game? Because his brother had the pick six? Well, it it was funny. When when that play happened in the game, I didn't realize that Stephon Gilmore's brother was on Marshall. And then that play happened. I'm like, gosh, I like Stephon Gilmore, too. Like, (laughs) seems like a nice dude and all that. And honestly, his interception in week one with Dallas, that's a reason why I think Dallas is a really legit team. I think that's a big acquisition for them. Because think about it, James. Tonight... A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, how do you match up against that? The fact that Trayvon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore is part of that corner duo, I think that's a big deal for for Dallas. Absolutely, and I talked to Stephon last year about this, and he hated to ever admit he was getting older. I remember asking him, like, do you think about the end? And he looked at me like he wanted to – you know, put hands on me. I'm like, all right, you know, Stefan, I'm just pointing out that you're a little bit older, but no, he <laughs> he thinks he's still elite. So yeah, I think last year he proved it. Last year he showed that he still I mean, had plenty left. Three of their four wins, he was tipping the ball with you, and so. All right, let's head to the Payless Slickers hotline right now. 18 tackles on Sunday. He was all over the field. Zaire Franklin joins us. Zaire, um, thank you for letting us know this on Monday, but it sounded like there was a present waiting for you at the team facility when you got into the building on Monday after your 18 tackle effort. Yes, yes, yes. The um, yeah, young aunt um, blessed the whole team with their Apple headphones. Uh, so definitely shout out to Ant. Uh, appreciate it. Um, well needed. You know, a couple of different colors. A lot of guys was uh, fighting over those colors. Um, obviously, uh, 
create a little controversy, but but it's all love and all good. Though. Definitely appreciate young aunt, uh for the for the gifts. Well, it was funny. I I probably should have been a little bit clearer and, and a gift. You know, I was a little tongue in cheek with that. It sounded like the NFL maybe wanted to uh, make sure that everything was uh, <laughs> in line with your performance on Sunday from the old uh, the old drug test that was waiting for you as well. Yeah, proudest drug test I guess I think I've ever taken in my in my life. Um, I took it as a compliment, um, but uh, I don't know if I want to continue to be complimented that way. So, <laughs> Zaire, when you look at your performance, and then obviously Shaq Leonard coming back, EJ Speed making some big plays, what do you think of the growth of this linebacker room since you've been here and just the brotherhood that you all have created for yourselves? Uh, I mean, no, I feel like, you know, our room, just, you know, the energy and just the mentality that we bring, um, even, you know, with the young guys, uh, Grant, Shigu, and Cam, excuse me, coming along too as well. I mean, I just feel like, you know, just from a defensive standpoint, you know, we just make all the plays. You know, we hold ourselves to the highest standard. You know, I feel like when you've had the success in our room that we've had over the years, you know, our standard is the best, period. You know, and I feel like that's just something that we all – you know, take personal and we all, you know, do our part and, you know, bring it to the table um, from myself, Speed, and D. Leonard. So I watched the clip where you and DeForest Buckner broke down the most bizarre playoff scene since covering the NFL. Only been here for a year and change. But can you explain, because Gus Bradley were saying you are the person, you are the culprit in practice who annoys the offense because you never let a play actually end. And can you talk about that mentality and carrying it over to a game where it actually mattered? We might need the dump button, by the way, if Zaire is going to repeat the word that yeah, he yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean, clean. Absolutely. On Sunday, post game. <laughs> no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. But, uh, no, nah, I mean, to be honest, you know, when I play, you know, I just I just want to play with, like, relentless mentality. You know what I mean? For, to me, it's all about finish. And, um, you know, especially I know how, you know, playing for so long and seeing so many different plays, look, the ball, you know, usually get loose towards the end of the you know, play when, you know, players relax and stuff like that. So um, for us, it's all about finish. That's all we preach. Um, that, you know, that's just kind of the standard I hold myself to every single play, every single day. Um, so, you know, obviously just, you know, when the ball, you know, was dropped, I was going to scoop the ball, um, you know, and then just that being said, I, we have that mentality out there that that's our ball. So, you know, regardless, whether it's a loose ball, dead ball, anything, um, anytime we have opportunity to get the ball in our hands, we're going to go for it. So, um, obviously, seeing him holding the ball, um, I put a little extra sauce on it just because. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I was just, you know, not only just, you know, finishing and trying to be relentless on the field, but also just maintaining that mentality as a defense that first off, that's our ball. Our job is to take the ball away regardless. And two is just, yeah, I know I feel like you just want to create that presence out there. You want to create that, that energy to offense know that like they understand who's running, who's running the show. They just out there. And again, uh, for those out there, maybe hold your tongue and say Apple. I, I believe that's what Zaire <laughs> called himself <laughs> on Sunday in, in reference to a little bit of post. Well, I shouldn't say post whistle because the whistle hadn't blown, but a, a little bit of uh, emphasis on that. He is Zaire Franklin. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Zaire, I often struggle with this, so I, I I love your insight into like how you evaluate yourself individually in a game like I see 18 tackles and that's eye-popping to me I also feel like within those 18 tackles I thought there were just some big-time plays you made in space and almost out on an island obviously the the punching out of the ball so when you break down your game when you evaluate yourself grade yourself after a game what are like the things that you look for in saying okay that was a good game for me um 
Um, honestly, uh, for myself, it's just, you know, playing fast. And I could tell um, I'm trust. I feel like my biggest thing for me and the thing that I, I try to work on the most is just trusting myself, you know, trusting my instincts, trusting my preparation. Um, and I think I could always see that when I go back and watch a game and I watch a performance that, um, you know, was very productive. Um, when I'm playing fast, when I'm trusting myself, when, you know, I see something and I just go, I'm not hesitating. And, um, and I feel like that's just when I get the best version of myself. You know, obviously, even within the 18 tackles, I still felt like, you know, it was a bunch of plays that I, I wish I made. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about getting a win. So you just think about the plays that you could have had or the plays you could have did better that could have helped move this closer to our, our goal of winning a game. But, um, you know, I mean, it was week one. It's definitely something to build on. And, you know, just trying to really get that rolling and keep going in Houston this weekend. For a linebacker, is tackles like an accurate statistic, you think, uh, in terms of, like, performance, or can it be misleading? Well, I think, you know, I think it's twofold. I mean, you know, my first linebackers coach, he used to always tell us, um, you know, a linebacker's job is to hit the ball every play. And, you know, I feel like, uh, tackles more times than not is a, a statistic about you know a whether you're around the ball and b just about hustle and finish because a lot of tackles you you see a lot of people get a lot of tackles just because of hustle you know whether that's you know behind the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage or 20 yards down the field so for me it's just like tackles is more of an in, uh, indication of how much you was around the ball um, but that being said you know the more tackles that you get the more likely that eventually two or three of them are a TFL or, you know, one of them is a sack or even, you know, another forced fumble or something too. So, um, I mean, I think it's definitely an indicator for sure, but I think we are judged by, you know, our ability to take the ball away. And um, I was just, you know, happy that I got a chance to do that on Sunday. So you mentioned yesterday, I thought this was interesting, that you are nervous for every preseason opener, every first (laughs) contact of the season because you put it like – you know, I got to see if it still works. <laughs> so when you have that mentality and you, you know, haven't had, you know, that major injury or, you know, Shaq, for instance, having the, the back surgeries and the, the concussion and things like that, what is it like as a teammate to see him come back and, you know, as, as you and, and EJ kind of phrase it, spin on, on the field? Man, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's emotional, to be honest with you. Um, you know, just understanding everything that he went through, all the battles that – he had to fight and continues to fight, um, you know, just to get back to, to being the place that he loves. Um, it's obviously a powerful situation, um, you know, and a great moment for him. And, uh, you know, I, like I tell him every day and, you know, I always let him out, know I'm out there with him, you know, and I got your back no matter what. You know, you ain't got to do this alone and you're not out here alone. And, uh, you know, just continually just trying to pour into him and, you know, just like I said, let him know that we all out here together because, you know, our defense is rolling. You know, we get him, you know, get him with that confidence and that swag and that maniac all the way back, man. It's, uh, it's going to be a top defense for sure. So I know you all take the game serious. That's obvious. But there is a bit of comedic relief, I feel, in the locker room because I think your group and probably the DBs are the loudest, the funniest, always cracking jokes. I wake up at 2 a.m. hearing Tony Brown's voice. <laughs> uh, so, same, same. I feel bad for you for that. <laughs> so what is it like? With you, EJ, who I think is hilarious, you know, Shaq having his, you know, moments, just just kind of bonding in that way and sort of providing that throughout a long season. Man, it's necessary. I mean, because first and foremost, if you can't make fun of each other and yourself, I mean, it's going to be a long season. I mean, that's first and foremost. But, man, you when you got guys who've uh, just played in, in so many different type of games, who've won and lost so many different ways, like myself, Kenny, uh, Speed, D. Leonard, Buck, Grove, 
I mean, at a certain point, it just you got to just laugh at some time. But I feel like that's just a, a example of just kind of like the type of energy that we have this year, you know, on this team. I mean, obviously we're a very young team, a lot of young guys in there. But, you know, I feel like the young guys, they bring that good energy. They hungry, they humble, um, and they just don't take it too serious. I feel like once you start taking it too serious, you got to remember what they say, it's a kid's game for a king's ransom. So at the end of the day, we out here living our life, um, proud and blessed to be amongst a, a great group of men, you know, trying to achieve a goal. So, like, at the end of the day, you know, we just got to be able to enjoy this time, embrace these moments because, you know, some, you know, it ain't going to last forever. So we just be out here trying to have fun, man, just trying to enjoy each other and at the same time hold each other accountable. Sire, last one. Appreciate your time here on this Thursday morning. Gus Bradley had an interesting comment, I thought, on Tuesday in, in describing you and, and your role within the defense. He said kind of in year one, um, he felt like you were running the defense, and now here in year two, he feels like you own the defense. How would you describe you owning this defense? Man, um, you know, first of all, that's a great quote from uh, Coach, but um, I definitely feel like, you know, this year coming in is just, man, it's just is the power that, you know, a year makes um, – is is amazing. Um, just coming in, just the amount of comfortability that I have, especially compared to last year this time. Um, and, you know, I'm a student of the game. You know, I study, you know, uh, Gus and his history. Uh, I study how other teams are attacking us, and I study myself a lot as well. So, and I feel like you could just feel that confidence coming out is just, you know, like I said, going through so many different situations last year um, and having that season under our belt, it was just a lot of growth, you know. Um, and I feel like it's not only just for myself, but for a lot of guys on this defense, you know, uh, the steps that Buck is making or and Grove and even Quiddy, you know, those guys – um, and Kenny as well, just just being that second year in the system, not having to learn so much and you can focus less on yourself and more on what the other team is doing just gives you so many more steps ahead. But, you know, I definitely feel that growth coming. Um, I feel it, you know, even in OTAs, just in my comfortability, me and Gus's relationship, we have a great line of communication of when he needs to get something from me and I need to get something from him or for the guys. So, um, you know, I just trying to continue that growth and, you know, just lead by example and continue to be the guy that this defense needs. When the drug test is waiting for you, it's probably <laughs> a good thing. Well, that's crazy. And that means you had a hell of a performance, and that's exactly what Zaire Franklin did on Sunday. Zaire, uh, great work in week one. Um, I know the win is something that you certainly have on your mind here in week two. Safe travels down to Houston, and uh, good luck, man. Thanks for the time. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys having me. That is Zaire Franklin on the Payless Liquors Hotline. James, always enjoy our conversations with him. I think something that also stands out to me about his career, you know, he signed that contract extension last whatever it was, January, February, March, you know, when Gus Bradley got hired. And so a new coaching staff, you're curious what the role's going to be. He has signed that extension and his play has ascended. Since then, you know, sometimes you see guys, especially guys that are day three picks like he was seventh round pick where it's all about getting to the second contract. And you hear so much of that. He got to the second contract and his play is gone up. And that to me, is pretty impressive. And it's a huge credit to I think how he's wired. I think you feel that when you talk with them. I think you see it in his play. And um, he is certainly a player that's been really, really key at an important time considering Shaquille Leonard's injuries uh, over the last couple of years. I also think it speaks to his talent level because being a seventh-round pick, maybe he was overlooked because of his stature, not being the biggest guy, or not having all of the measurables. But 
he has a tremendous amount of talent that he's worked and I think refined to maximize. And so you're seeing that throughout some of these games. And obviously I did a huge story on Zaire. We had a lot of talks about how he was raised, his mentality. And one of the things I respect about him is his ability to work towards something without seeing it clearly first. And by that, I mean, coming from the environment he grew up in, North Philly, raised by his grandma and mom, who both passed away when he was in high school, he didn't know he would be here, Mm -hmm. you know, a few years later or, you know, a decade later, whatever the case may be. Yeah, this wasn't spoon-fed for him. Exactly. If somebody told you, if somebody tells you, Kevin, hey, if you do X, Y, Z, I'll give you this, you know, bag of money at the end, you'll do it. But if you can work towards something without a guarantee at the end, I think that really defines your character. And so he was willing to put everything on the line, bet on himself without a guarantee of it ever working out. He just knew he couldn't give up or like, you know, go to sleep at night without trying. And he tries hard and he works hard. And so I think that's really cool. And it's, it's an awesome lesson, honestly, because I think that, you know, the tryhards, you know, after high school are the ones that usually succeed. And that, that's the big thing for him. You know, we've talked a lot about Chris Ballard and roster building and, and, you know, okay, six, seven years into this, you know, where have the issues been? There is no debating Chris Ballard's drafting of linebackers. He has absolutely knocked that out of the park. Oh, and yes. this goes back to fifth round Anthony Walker in his first draft. It goes back to certainly Bobby O'Karake had a really nice run. But, you know, when you think about Franklin as a seventh round pick, you think about EJ Speed as a fifth rounder. I mean, obviously Shaq has well exceeded even second (laughs) round um, sort of draft production they've really really overhauled and changed what a linebacker looks like it's a very modern looking position now for the Colts it's not like the the thumpers if you will (laughs) and and not necessarily that and again I thought Zaire the 18 tackles certainly that stands out to you James but I thought he made some plays that just were like whoa was that 44 you know like just just a few more of those kind of flash plays that um, I think is an indicator that maybe there is more with his game, and that's a huge credit to him. Yeah, I believe the first play of the game for Jacksonville was a pass breakup by Zaire across the middle. And as we saw, some of the windows that Trevor Lawrence was putting the ball into were elite. And so if you get a PBU on a guy like that, a pass breakup on a guy like that, it speaks to you know your knowledge of the game. And he also talks about studying it, you know, the film review, all the boring stuff that we don't see. He, you know, embraces that. And one thing that actually was fascinating to me about what we talked to the guys about yesterday in the locker room was he is not the only one like that. And young Anthony Richardson, according to Ryan Kelly, basically lives there, you know, in the facility and, and won't go home. And so, you know, you'd like to hear those things about your young, young rookie quarterback who's, you know, building his habits off of the guys that are already in there. And I think the, the Colts have a lot of high character guys. You look at Zaire, you look at, um, you know, DeForest Buck, and you look at some other guys. Uh, something that I want to get into in the eight o'clock hour is, again, Sunday for Anthony Richardson and, and maybe a little bit of circling of the calendar considering who the opposing quarterback is coming up. And, you know, he had little bit of that last season in September, and it didn't go very well, to be frank. And that's something that I know, James, you and I have heard from Anthony, and, and that's something I think we should share coming up here in the 8 o'clock hour. Um, again, John McClain going to join us a little bit later in the show. You hear him on these airwaves. Anytime the Texans and the Colts match up, that is the game coming up Sunday at 1 o'clock. Um, I want to get back into the Anthony Richardson audio from yesterday. Mark, if you could cue that up. You know, I did have a question entering yesterday, James, on would we see Anthony Richardson pop up on the injury report at all? 
just because, you know, there was a knee bruise from Sunday. There was an ankle soreness that he woke up with on Monday. He did not show up on the injury report. Um, but this is a guy that certainly felt <laughs> his first NFL game. Here was Anthony Richardson yesterday on how he felt Monday morning after his first NFL game. You know, I was a little sore. I, I woke up with uh, some feelings that I never felt before. You know, but uh, some of the events just like welcome to the league, Rook. You know, that's that's how it's going to be. But you know, just getting in the training room early, taking care of my body—that's that's the main part. <laughs> You know, James, um, I appreciate the honesty from Anthony. Uh, I remember leaning over to Mike Chappell at one point during the game and thinking, man, uh, these are some NFL, this is some NFL speed and NFL hits that's just different. You know, I don't think guys are getting too many clean, clean shots on Anthony Richardson in college. And if they are, they don't look like Josh Allen or Trayvon Walker. Um, I mean, obviously, these are grown, grown men at this level. And I'm curious looking ahead to Sunday, two things. One, do we see any change in his style of play? I don't think you're going to see too much of that, but when you do get opportunities, and I don't know how many of these he had, to be honest with you, James, but when you do get opportunities to make plays in the open field, do you step out of bounds? Do you slide a little bit? You know, it's more of be Trevor Lawrence, not Josh Allen. You know, Josh Allen to me takes way too many unnecessary hits. I thought Trevor Lawrence at times when he ran on Sunday, he did a really nice job of just sliding. And, you know, maybe you do whatever, two, three yards short of what you could get. But when it's a random first and 10 or second and four, just live to see another down. And then secondly, if as expected, Zach Moss is the guy on Sunday, does that all of a sudden alleviate what Anthony thinks he needs to do as a runner? Because how could he have not? As the game went along on Sunday, thought to himself, damn, man, our running backs stink. Like, I mean, we are getting nothing from a running back standpoint. I've got to keep it more. I've got to do my part in trying to help out the run game. Does Zach Moss, who the last time we saw him, for what it's worth, he did have a career high over over 100 yards. Does his presence just make your running back production competent and therefore Anthony Richardson doesn't feel the need? to do everything that he felt like he had to do in week one. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but it's a thought I have. I'm smiling because... As soon as I saw you smile, I'm like, damn, James thinks it's the dumbest thing. No, it's not that. It's that you mentioned that he had the 100-yard game, and I was like, that's not what we remember from that game, (laughs) you know, from last season. Yeah, I was not on anyone's mind. 100 yards against Houston. Yeah, I'm thinking I can't remember writing about that. That was not the story after that season. Well, not season-ending loss, but just that season-concluding loss last season. But I will say this. I agree that Zach Moss will alleviate some of the pressure, some of the advanced numbers support that. He is a pretty good first and second down runner, someone who can, you know, generate a few more yards after contact than say Deion Jackson or Evan Hull who's out for four weeks, you know, with on IR. But I do think the the play calling and some of the things that Anthony Richardson will be exposed to will be a little bit different. And it, maybe the playbook gets a little bit more expanded. You we'll see how Houston is playing it. They're, I expect them to do what most teams do and what they probably will do throughout the season is play the high cover two force Anthony Richardson to beat him underneath but I do think that there was a time in the season opener where he felt like I got to do everything and I got to be Superman and I go back to when he was at the combine and he wore that remember Kevin he wore that tight red shirt it was like skin tight to come talk to us I literally thought he was a Pacers power forward (laughs) when when I first saw him and so I remember thinking, wow, that's a great marketing tactic to tell everyone how big and, and fast you are because everyone else had on regular T-shirts, and here he is looking like you know, all he needs is an S on his chest. But again, he is not going to fly his way into the end zone. 
And most of the time, he's not going to be able to just do something incredible every single play to get to the end zone. This is not, you know, Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl. So he's going to have to. <laughs> Look at you turning back the clock. Yeah, I mean, I played it, you know, How once old are or twice. You again? 27, but it's, it's a classic. I feel like it's a rite of passage if you're a sports guy growing up or a video game guy growing up. I don't know if my god kids will ever touch that sort of system, but all of that in mind, I think that uh, Anthony Richardson is learning on the fly, and I'm sure there's been plenty of conversations that, to, hey, man, protect yourself because it is a long season, and it'll be the longest season that you ever had in your career. And what will it take, I think, for that to really resonate? Like waking up on Monday feeling like you – like he did, I, I don't think Trevor Lawrence's post-game comments necessarily will be the one that, you know, oh yeah, I I, I need to totally change. And it, it's a fine balance, man, because what makes Josh Allen great, what made Andrew Luck great, what makes Anthony Richardson potentially really, really good is the, the threat of extension and, and the threat of doing something um, with his legs. And, and so I, I do think it's a fine balance um, how he handles them. Oh, I agree, but I think that you ask about what's going to be the wake-up call. It should have been when you're on the ground holding your knee in your home stadium and 65,000 fans are holding their breath thinking that their season might be over because you're down on the ground. That was scary. I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, my mm-hmm. day just changed. Literally, that's, that was my thought. I'm like, oh boy, there goes everything I've written so and far. So when he got up, I was like, all right, like, you know, that's a little bit of kryptonite for Superman, right. but again. And Shane Second did say he could have gone back in the game. Right. And Anthony, you know, even the actions of it, I know you and I were both binoculars out looking down on the sideline during that moment of like, okay, how much medical attention is he getting at this yeah. point? Those sorts of things. And it did look like. You know, it's not like he went straight to the bench or straight to the blue tent or anything like that. Um, again, Zach Moss was a full participant in practice yesterday towards the end of last season behind this same offensive line. Personnel-wise, he had some nice performances. We probably should point out, though, it's a much different run game than it last is. season. Um, and, you know, as you pointed out, James, you know, Moss is a first and second down guy. I mean, he is a... 5'9", power back. I've always said like he's got some tree trunks for, for legs. Um, so I think third down, you're still going to rotate in. I guess Deion Jackson would be in that role there uh, as we look ahead to Sunday. All right, coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, a couple things that we want to get to. I thought there was some interesting reaction from our listening audience and Michael Lombardi's comments when he popped on the <laughs> show yesterday. He was strong, to say the least, in his thoughts on the Jonathan Taylor situation, and probably fair to say he is very pro-team in this debate. So, yes, as a former GM, (laughs) I guess it's not the most shocking thing in the world, but in all honesty, I thought some interesting points that he brought up. So I want to get back to that. And again, for Sunday and Anthony Richardson, I think this one is one he thinks about a whole lot, and it kind of references back to a game in college last season that he thought about a whole lot and did not go well. So uh, we'll break that down a little bit more. Again, James Boyd is with us here. Andy and Nikki Sweeney, they welcome Mason Donald Sweeney into the world yesterday morning about 1040. Sounds like everything is going uh, as smooth as it can be for the Sweeney family. So congrats to them as Mason Sweeney, little gas, as I'm calling him, moving forward. He is now into the world. 8 o'clock hour coming up. It's the wake-up call. KB, James Boyd, Mark Dykton with you here on 93.5-1075. Zara Franklin was with us earlier. Outstanding. I think that could be one we re-rack coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. John McClain will also join us to talk a little bit of Houston Texans coming up Sunday afternoon. James Boyd, who's with us for a second straight day, he will be 
down in Houston. You looking forward to the trip? I, I'm not a big Houston fan of their football team or of the city. Dang. I'm to be truly honest. I have nothing against it. Dallas I, greater than Houston, in my opinion. Well, I both agree. football team and city. <laughs> I gotta pivot. What what is with you in Houston? Did you get like? I think it's too spread out, man. Like it's just like. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't finding the right areas necessarily. <laughs> I think the environment is just so blah in that stadium too. Maybe it's because you sit so Man, high no, in there. I but. tell you what, I enjoyed the press box. The press box food was well, immaculate. Yeah, yeah, last Twenty-seven year. years old, you sound like you're you've been doing so, the media song and dance for forty years now. Hey, look, man, I enjoy free things, and so <laughs> free food is always a plus. And when it's good free food, it's even better. You know, so I would say pump the brakes on the, on the, the Houston hate, KB. But no, I I would say Dallas is a better city, better team, obviously better franchise, more storied, and there's certainly not a lack of headlines over there any no, time of the year. No, Jets and Whataburger Cal- in that, and that's... You know, I think Whataburger's a little overrated. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. Whoa. I agree. Yes. Uh, yes. Steak and shake, in and out, Whataburger. See, in and out is overrated. In I agree books. there, too. Steak and shake I want to cuddle with. I love steak and shake. in and out in my book. No, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry, Mark. But I love when the combine comes here and you hear NFL people like, hey, you want to go to Steak and Shake? That? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> I love these people. These are my people. Uh, James Boyd is with us uh, for a second straight day. It'll be uh, Mark and I tomorrow to round out the week as Andy is a new father with Mason yes, Donald Congrats. Sweeney entering this world at about 1040. I hope for Mason's sake the Giants play better in week two than his dad's reaction <laughs> in week one. Um, I mean, he scored as many points as them, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. starting off strong. Yeah. yeah, Little Gas did as much as uh, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones <laughs> and company in week one. Uh, Michael Lombardi joined us yesterday, James, and I thought he was extremely uh, honest and very pro-team in this Jonathan Taylor debate. Mm-hmm. And I guess if there's any sort of update on Taylor, it's that uh, the – Response from Shane Sykin yesterday, and will Jonathan travel to Houston? We'll talk about it. That was the about the only response. He was not going to get into <laughs> any sort of detail on why he was left home uh, or why I he was not why. at the game on <laughs> Sunday. You think that's pretty mutual and distraction? Yeah, I do think it's probably a mutual agreement to this point. But as we've talked about previously, it's still an issue until you resolve it with a long-term answer. So you can hide it. You can avoid it. He doesn't have to travel all those things. You don't have to see him. But as soon as week five rolls around, it's going to become a thing again. You're going to have to address it. You can't tell us, oh, you know, it's in-house. No, we're going to have to, you know, get some updates. And we'll see some roster movements or changes depending on how healthy he is. Yeah, again, yesterday marked three weeks uh, from the first day that Jonathan Taylor could practice. That would be week five, uh, that that Wednesday practice. I'll admit that there's times when talking about Taylor, I felt like I've been out of talking out of both sides of my mouth because I do have this general philosophy, James, where you don't draft a running back until day three. Like My thoughts are round one, round two, round three. Those draft picks don't go to running backs. But I also think if you're opening up your little GM playbook, if you will, a lot of that can get thrown out of the window or needs adjusting when your quarterback is a guy like Anthony Richardson. Michael Lombardi, though, would, I think, disagree with that pretty wholeheartedly. (laughs) Here was Michael Lombardi with us yesterday on Jonathan Taylor and the Colts situation. You know, when you join the Navy SEALs, right, 
it's a hard thing to do. It takes they take 175 people, uh, candidates, and they, and by the end of it, there's only 25 that remain. And then to get into SEAL Team Six, it's even harder. But what happens to get into SEAL Team Six is you have to have people that make SEAL Team Six end up with high performers and high trust. But the next level of people that make SEAL Team Six have have high trust. It may be not as high performance. So what happens is you want to build a team around those kind of guys. And Taylor was one of those guys, high performance, high trust, when you listen to him talk in April. But when he started talking, when he got his new agent, all of a sudden, you know, his high performance, now we have low trust. Those guys you can't win with. That's not going to help. But here's the separate side. You have an asset in him. There's a perception that, you know, he's an asset. He is. They gave him every opportunity to look at the open market. They gave him every opportunity to have somebody put a deal in front of him at 17, 18, 20 million a year. No one did that. No one offered anything very good for him. And if you're going to be worth 17 million a year, if that's what you think your value is, then the, the Colts should get a first round pick back for him. I mean, like, it's not the Colts' job to make another team happy. It's not the Colts' job to satisfy this. We have taken this NBA mentality and tried to put it into the NFL. When the NFL has rules, and everything about the NFL is different than the NBA. The NBA players control their league. The NFL, the collective bargaining agreement controls the league. That was negotiated by the players and by the owners. So it's a completely different thing. But the media seems to intertwine it all in. I mean, Chris Jones just held out. He got fined upwards. He basically lost $3 million. Now, the, the Chiefs were kind enough to try to get him $2 million back based on playtime incentives. But that holdout might be the most ridiculous holdout of all time. Why? What did he gain from it? He got bad advice. Just like Taylor's getting bad advice. Taylor's best advice would be go out there, play hard, rehab, just exactly what he said in April. That was the best advice he could have had. But somehow this agent that he got convinced him that he was going to make everything go away and make all nice. And the guy ends up looking like a fool. If I'm Chris Ballard, I hang on to him. I learned from Al Davis, patience is a great virtue. I'll hold on to him. And if I decide to franchise him next offseason, it's because I feel like I can get more than a, comp- uh, than a compensatory third for him. So those are the comments of Michael Lombardi former executive in the NFL, obviously pro team in that scenario. The funniest part of that was <laughs> this is not the NBA. The NFL has rules. <laughs> it's like just different rules, different powers. Free structure. for all in the NBA, right? <laughs> exactly. Anything goes. <laughs> but here's why I don't think it's all that different. I think that what he said makes a ton of sense. Obviously, I'm not going to like, you know, pretend that I know more about how these inner workings of you know, deal disputes go down, you know, as opposed to a former GM. But the thing about a star who wants out is that if you make enough noise, you will eventually get your way. I think that's just true in any sport. And I keep telling you, if JT shows up and just goes full James Harden, I don't want to be here. I don't like you guys. I don't care if we want to lose. I'll just show up and play because I have to, but whatever. That will look worse on the team if they keep him around just because they can i don't know if it'll get to that point we'll revisit it again in week five but i think what michael was saying is true though when you have a broken trust and there's not that level of you know um i guess respect or 
love there anymore, then at some point you have to move on. But you don't move on for pennies on a dollar. So I respect him for saying that he wouldn't, you know, just ship him out for nothing. Yeah, and I guess to be clear, I mean, there are a lot of things that he said there that I agree with. There are also some things that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and we haven't heard, and this is why it'd be great if Taylor could ever speak to this situation. I don't know if he'd be willing to reveal it, but we've never heard 17, 18, 20 million annually right. from Jonathan Taylor. That would be by far the highest paid running back in the league. Um, you know, I've said before, I think there's some skepticism I have if the Colts would be willing to give him 13 million annually. Um, he mentions the franchise tag and. The pushback that I have had against that, you know, again, I've said for months now, three years, $39 million, front load that contract. Because if you play the slap the franchise tag game with him, that means that the money he makes is going to be, it's going to be in the 13, 14 higher range as you continue to put that tag on him. The tag goes up 25%. Each time that you use it, and where I'm thinking, James, and I know this is a little bit more like, okay, we're getting really into the nitty-gritty with the Colts cap situation here, but you're not paying anybody of substance anytime soon. I mean, yeah, a little bit of Michael Pittman, maybe a Grover Stewart extension, but it's not like you're paying a quarterback anytime soon. But in the next couple of years, you might be paying Quiddy Pay big money. You might be paying Bernard Ryman. So before those decisions arrive, that's where I would want to get ahead of things and, again, support the young QB right here in the present. Um, that's where I've been very pro, front-loading things with Taylor, making sure that things are as seamless as possible with Anthony Richardson. Just like listen to Richardson's comments, James, whether it's after the game on Sunday. Man, I, I'm really learning about Every play matters. Every drive matters. Things like that. What did he say yesterday? Man, uh, I felt a lot different. I felt feelings in my body that <laughs> I, I hadn't, hadn't felt before. What I would like to do is try and remove as much of that as you can or quiet that down or calm that down, support him, put him in more comfortable settings. And how do you watch Sunday and think he was comfortable back there with the run game? I think he felt like he had to do more. And by doing more, I think he took a lot of hits and more hits than he needed to do. And that stuff just kind of adds up. And that's why I think trying to avoid that should be of utmost importance for the Colts. And um, I do think looking at the Zach Moss situation on Sunday, James, it's almost like we're going to get our first glimpse at the other side of running back thinking by NFL teams of, hey, here's your middle round pick and Zach Moss. You're going to have him on the field for first and second down. Then you'll bring a new running back on the field for third down. And now the Colts are going to operate with just a little bit more of a, not the undrafted group they threw out there with Deion Jackson and company on Sunday. Now it's going to be, oh yeah, this is possible. Like NFL teams do do this. And how will that look? And if all of a sudden they have run game success with their running backs in week two, week three, and week four, what does that do to their feelings on Jonathan Taylor when he is eligible to come off pup in week five? I think they have to realistically throw some trade offers or at least receive some that they're willing to look at for real. Not, you know, we're only accepting a first for him. You're not getting a first. We just talked about it yesterday. The last first included in a trade for running back was 2013 for Trent Richardson. We know how that turned out. And as you pointed out so eloquently, didn't work out for either team because that pick ended up being Johnny Menzel. But nevertheless... 
I think that there has to be some sort of come to Jesus moment for this franchise where I don't want, I don't want to say you're holding a player hostage because that's not the case at all. I mean, he signed the contract. He said that himself. You're obligated to be here per the contract. However, if keeping him is a distraction, if you're not getting the all pro player that you thought you were going to get because he's, you know, hurt or upset or mad, whatever the case may be, at some point you have to try to sell as high as possible. Now, I would try to pitch it to him like, all right, I know you might not want to be here, but if you come back and have a couple of good games, then we can get you, you know, a higher return on, on our investment yeah, for you. Yeah, sweetening the contract in the here and now, that is something I'm curious about. What, Like what Kansas City is doing yeah. with Chris Jones or what – the Giants did with Saquon Barkley, or what the Raiders did yeah, with, I'm just with, curious with Josh. If, it doesn't seem like that's been entertained at no, all. No, and and quite honestly, they don't have to do that. But it's it's okay. Where do you give a little bit? Because as you know, Michael Lombardi pointed out, I don't think Chris Jones really gained a ton from you know Kansas City by holding out. Honestly, he might look back and be like, "That was not a good move for me at all." But do you do the same with JT? Where it's like, okay, you're a little upset. Do we just throw you an extra? you know, million in incentives this year to make right. you a little bit happier and because make you willing to come in and play. He's the fifth highest paid player on this offense. I mean, when you think about it in those terms, like, I get why he is so frustrated with that. So, do you sweeten that at all for this current 2023 season when you are sitting on a, a lot of cap space? I mean, they can, they can do that um, because – Unlike the Chris Jones situation right now, Jonathan Taylor is making all the money. I mean, he's getting his contract. He's on the pup list and gets paid. Uh, so I do think that is something that I know Ballard wasn't going to get there with us a couple weeks ago, but that was a question that I had of like, has there been any thought of saying, all right, you know, play the incentive game here in 2023 to try and get him at a value that represents a little bit more of market value because he's obviously in, the, in his first three seasons, he's absolutely shattered the return on investment that you would have expected from him. Oh, absolutely. I believe through his first three seasons, the only running back in Colts history who's had more rushing yards is Edwin James. But the question I have for you, KB, is when it comes to these headphones Anthony Richardson was giving out, which I believe he gave out to everyone on the roster, practice squad players included, you know, IR, whatever the case may be. I didn't be. know there was a variety of colors. Like, Zaire Franklin was selling them. black and white, I think. Oh, and wait, so, was that it? Yeah, and I thought that was funny because I'm like, wow, AR's got to learn to be a parent and you just give them one choice. <laughs> Not to. I learned that from my, my parents. Like, yep, you know, when I'm that with my god so kids, true. there is never a choice. It is, you Mark, know. Mark, all, all the sisters have got to get the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. Or same else? color. Everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, with the headphones in mind, do you think JT had to pick them up in person? Did AR have them shipped to his wherever he's living? Did he hand them to him face-to-face and tell him, hey, come on back? You know, I need I, you? I, would, I, I don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> but I would assume, right, isn't Jonathan Taylor in the building just for a couple hours each I, morning? I so. so. Like if AR maybe if you early, put him in front of his locker, then... It was a sticky note. JT did get that? No. Hey. He rocked that on his way home? <laughs> maybe. I know. I totally spaced when Zaire Franklin, I when I told him there was a gift waiting for him, I kind of forgot about the Richardson uh, giving of headphones to everybody in that locker room. Uh, Paul is on the phone lines. He want to talk about Jonathan Taylor. What's up, Paul? What's up, Kevin? How you doing? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm good. I, I got to disagree with you guys a little bit because you guys are saying that you got to trade Jonathan Taylor. This is not the NBA. We don't have to trade Jonathan Taylor. And all they have to do is, is sit this out. Um, and if Jonathan Taylor is unhappy, then 
let him be unhappy. Now, I love Jonathan Taylor. I want him here. But we don't have to trade Jonathan Taylor. We can put him out there, let him play. That is the best offensive weapon we have, and we're not going to get anything like that in return. And what did we do with Gilmore? We traded Gilmore for a fifth-round pick. What did we do with that fifth-round pick? We cut that fifth-round pick. No, you do not cut Jonathan Taylor. You do not cut. You do not trade Jonathan Taylor for anything. You let that man play. You ride this out, and you get him out there with the rest of his team because all he's going to do is make everyone else around him better. So, Paul, my counter to that is, and I agree that I do think he would, in theory, make this team better. But what if he is so mad that he doesn't want to play with this team? He doesn't care. Like, does the investment in the team factor into your decision to keep him around? And I'm not saying that you're wrong. I, I think that he's a great player, their best offensive player, easily coming into this season. However, what if your return on that investment, your return on all-pro player, isn't that player anymore because he's so mad? Is that a factor? Then you find him and you sit him. You don't let it – you don't set precedent and, and trade somebody – because they, they asked for tra- a trade because they want a new contract. Yes, I believe he should have got a new contract, but you do not let go of a home run hitting running back just because he wanted a new contract. If you do that, then you set the end of, Then what, what Jim Ursay would have done is basically did what the Haslam's done in, in Cleveland. You set a new precedent for the NFL. What they did with Deshaun Watson in his contract – then Jim Ursay would have been doing that by letting somebody out who was unhappy. And that is not what you do. He's on his rookie deal. You see it out. And then guess what? If you come to some kind of trade agreement at the end of the season, then you do that. But this season, no, we need him with Anthony Richardson to make him better and his team better. Period. Do not get rid of Jonathan Taylor. Paul, enjoy the mail route today. The energy, as always, through the roof with Paul. Thank you for that passion. Just to be clear, the Colts did not cut the fifth-round pick that they traded uh, for Stephon Gilmore. That would be Evan Hall. He is certainly still on the team, currently on injured reserve. Uh, It does sound like he will return at some point, but just want to make sure that we cleared that up. Um, You know, Obviously, Paul makes points that it's hard to argue with some of that. Um, You know, what Taylor's camp would counter with and saying – you know, the Colts can't set this precedent by doing this to Taylor. Taylor's camp would say they've already set the precedent and saying we pay guys before they get to the end of their rookie deals. And that's why Taylor is so frustrated with all of this. My biggest thing with Taylor has not been, again, I've said give him three years and $39 million. Like, that's been my stance on it. Where I've said you do trade him is if you, as a franchise, if the Colts do not see a multi-year contract in Taylor's future, that's where I fall in line with you need to get return on investment. What worries me about the franchise tag is, again, that continues to skyrocket from a cap standpoint, and that can complicate the situation, and I don't think it would solve Jonathan Taylor's frustration in this. He just continue to be mad. <laughs> and, and then, secondly... um, I don't want to see him walk in free agency to when you're getting a compensatory pick that's a couple of years down the road. If you're going to get return on Jonathan Taylor, trading him now, to me, it's getting the 2024 draft pick in here. Um, and a lot of it, this revolves around 
what I saw Jacksonville do with Trevor Lawrence. And I know I've brought this up before, but they had such a sense of urgency a couple off-seasons ago in making sure that they went out there and got some free agents that you wouldn't call them top of line, but they knew that they needed to support him in the immediacy to try and get him right. And that's my thoughts, Richardson-related, with Taylor. Um, I think we're making a little bit too much of a, the Colts need to you know put their foot in the ground <laughs> and, and stand tall. It's a franchise that's won one of their last eight divisional games. It's a franchise that just won four games last year. You're not in a position right now to be having these big proclamations of, this is the precedent that we're going to set. Jonathan Taylor is a guy that, helps out Anthony Richardson in the here and now, period. That's it. And you need to make sure that you try and keep players that help Anthony Richardson happy, available, and doing it as early as possible in Anthony Richardson's career. And right now with Taylor, that's not happening. And we saw the result of it on Sunday. You got your quarterback, in my opinion, exposed to some shots that he should not have been exposed to because your running back position was so god-awful. Yeah, it was bad. It was horrendous, honestly, to look at a combined running back group having, what was it, 25 rushing yards out of their 65, and, and obviously Anthony Richardson accounted for the 40. But to Paul's like, point, do you want Richardson to continue to take those hits? Because I think that will happen if your running back position continues to be lacking. No, and I do think part of it is also, like I said, he got kind of gimpy on the first run, and that was, hey, you probably got to slide on that one. But – Again, my whole point is I understand everyone telling me about JT and his value, what the culture's rights are, but I think what sometimes we miss is the human element of it all. If you, I mean, you could tell your kids to do something, KB, when they're older and say, hey, clean your room, do it. If they're going to pout their way through the entire, you're going to still make them do it, obviously, but the, the, the zeal to do it and how well they do might not be the same. I mean, and then you're dealing with grown men, not kids. So it's like if JT says, I'm going to be unhappy. I'm going to make this as awkward and, and crazy as possible. I don't see how it's going to change if you don't extend him, like you said, with a multi-year deal. If it's, you know, one year for on a franchise tech, he's just going to sit out the entire summer next year and force this to kind of go through the entire thing again. So uh, that, that's where I'm at. I, I feel everyone who says, you know, they shouldn't have to do certain things as far as payment or extending him or appeasing him, but – if you are doing all this with hopes of getting an all-pro player in return, he's not going to be that player because he's so mad and he basically wants to not play for you anymore, then do whatever you need to do to get you know, something good in return. I think you can get a really good return package in exchange for JT if you're willing to really come to the negotiating table and know that it's, it's real. I mean, obviously asking for Jalen Waddle isn't real, but again, you can get a second and a fifth or a second and a fourth or a second and a fourth and something else to to make your team better. That's that's why I look at it. Because if you're not going to make your team better immediately right now with JT, make them immediately better with some draft compensation that will help Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I, I agree on that. And I guess one other point Taylor-related for me is this. Um, to Paul's point, I don't think this stance and all of a sudden paying Taylor would all of a sudden open up the floodgates of your roster to where guys would be clamoring for money in the way that Taylor is doing that. Why is the Taylor debate even happening? Because he has been one of the greatest running backs the the NFL has seen through his first three seasons. There's plenty of statistical evidence that backs that up. Of He has been one of the best running backs. Not this franchise has seen. The NFL has seen through three years, guys on this team, they don't 
they haven't created that that, that sort of resume. Yeah. Like, so I I don't think you're going to have the clout there from other guys that Taylor is able to create. And again, the Colts can point to other players and other positions that they have paid before the end of that rookie. But do they contract. regret that? Is my thing, and that's the part that Chris yeah, how much, never come yeah, out and say. Yeah, I, and I, I'd love to give some true serum to him. Yeah, I yeah. mean, because that's my thing. It's like how much has the Leonard contract created a <laughs> yeah. little bit of? Um, yeah, I don't know if regret is the right word, but a pause in there you has know, he, to be some. He keeps on saying four wins. Is it deeper than that? I mean, you got Luke Rhodes, you know, you know, record contract. Talked to him yesterday. He seemed pretty happy with where things stand as far as his contractual situation. Malki Kawa, uh, he, uh, the Taylor's agent, liked my tweet about Luke Rhodes and that contract oh, extension. Still liking tweets, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's also the craziest part of this. I would, and I've talked to Chad about this all the time. Mike Chapel, Fox Fifty Nine, the Dean. Legend. Could you imagine him telling him at 30, 20, whatever, when he started doing this, that, hey, one day you're going to be tracking the likes of an agent yeah, on Twitter? I mean, again, the immaturity of it all. And Taylor's camp is much more at fault than the Colts for it. Uh, it's just, it's a joke. It's a it's seventh grade relationship. It's yeah. pathetic, frankly. I remember asking Chris Ballard about it. And like, he, said, again, he liked my tweet when there was no even mention of Taylor in it. I'm like, how does he see that? He doesn't follow me. Maybe he just likes you. I, he doesn't follow. Like, I, I'm like, how do you even <laughs> try to spin this? it? I'm trying to spin it. Ugh. But I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I do think that this has gotten to a point where you have to seriously consider if the relationship can be mended at all. And I'm not even sure. Yeah, sometimes you do just have to cut ties to simply let Anthony Richardson not have this cloud over him of this constant drama. And Shane yeah. Steichen having to answer questions on a pretty routine basis that he obviously wants no part of answering whatsoever. And I feel for the guy, but this is where, you know, you got to earn your check, I guess. You pay a lot of money to be the head coach of a football team. But he's the only prominent figure we see on a regular basis. We would love to ask these same questions to more of the decision makers in this process. Or Taylor. Is, yes. Yeah. He can come out and talk. I got that question a few weeks ago. You know, can he not talk? He can talk whenever he wants to. Yeah, I mean, Jelani Woods talked to the media the other day. Yeah, Exactly. You can talk whenever you want to. And that is the most frustrating part about all of this is that you're talking about a player, about a situation, but you're not talking to him. We haven't talked to him since June. And, I mean, a part of me wants to just see what he will say. Because for – you know this more than me because you've been on the beat longer, been around this city longer, but in the three years he's been here – the interview where he spoke in June was probably the first real, like non-team, non-Boy Scout answers that he ever gave mm-hmm. because yeah. he's been so you know lock you know yeah, lock and step, kind and of a PR whatever. mouthpiece, yeah. exactly. And so this is this can't be that. This has to be you standing up for yourself in a way that is both you know informative but also definitive. And so I, I don't think that he's ready to do that right now and if he does if he is what benefit does he gain from it I personally I just think that as a reporter it's hard to keep talking about it without having the chance to talk to the source the main source of information which is the player I mean his ankle is the most talked about body part in Indianapolis and we haven't talked to him in months and so it's tough man but I think that again he's in a situation where if to Paul's point if the Colts really do want to flex their muscle they can, they can most likely win this. You're going to have to show up. The CBA does not allow any outs for you prior to ending your rookie deal. I think you got to say win in quotes, though, because, like, how do you really win? 
You oh, know, I agree. Like, I agree. It, it, yeah, I agree. I mean, they're right now. It's just. But I mean, when like I just want to show you, sure, I'm in, I'm sure. in power. Yeah, but they again, don't have to pay him. That obviously. to me is short sighted because you're not helping your team at that point. Right. You're just doing it just to show that you have this power. And again, you want guys who are all bought in, and you hear all these cliches, KB, of you know, iron sharpens iron. It's a brotherhood, and everything stays in this locker room. But if you got one guy in the locker room, technically, who doesn't want to be there. At some point, you got to get something in return that is, whether it's a player, a pick, something that's all in on what you're trying to build here with your current team and around that current player who, regardless of JT, regardless of Luke Rose's extension, the guy who matters is Anthony Richardson. So you do whatever you can to help him, whether that is coming to an agreement with JT by paying a little bit more money or moving him to add other things around him. Yeah, my thing is multi-year extension, and if you're not going to do that, you need to look long and hard at all these trade offers. Yeah, you've been on this early too. Some return on that. All right, still want to get to Anthony Richardson and what a game that I think he's circling on the calendar coming up here on Sunday. I know we got a couple Taylor calls as well. Uh, before that, let's do a quick morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, James, before we get to the uh, injury report for the Colts from yesterday with some interesting notes on that, it has been a good start to the week here for the Cincinnati Redlegs. They win last night again over the Tigers 4-3. Don't look now, but here come the Redlegs. Love you, Mark Dykton. <laughs> and they are getting some help around them. The wild card picture as we reach the midway point of September looks like this. The Phillies and the Cubs still first and second. Cubs have a two-game lead in that second spot. One final wild card spot then. That would be third place. The Reds and the Diamondbacks currently tied. Mark, that's your Diamondbacks, correct? Yes. Hope they lose every game the rest of the season. (laughs) A half game back would be the Giants and the Marlins. So right now, four teams separated by a half game for the final wild card spot in the NL. Uh, The drama certainly speaks for itself there. Uh, Yesterday, we did see the Atlanta Braves clinch the NL East for a sixth straight year. James, yesterday, the injury report for the Colts. couple of things to note there, right? Left guard, Quentin Nelson, out with a toe. He missed three snaps on Sunday with a toe injury. Again, it's early in the week. Don't panic just yet. But it is concerning to have Braden Smith, right tackle, also out yesterday with a knee and ankle um, injury. We'll see if those two guys get you know healthier throughout the week. And then Drew Ogletree was out with a concussion. He's still in the protocols. And then Zach Moss forearm injury full participant after breaking it on the first day of padded practice in Westfield and so that's promising for that running back room that we've talked about so heavily over the last few days and he needs to be available I think he will be available because without him we saw what the options were and they were not good no it was uh, that's an understatement for Sunday and Anthony Richardson not on the injury report which no. Um, I think that was something that just curious about entering the week. Uh, Thursday night football tonight, it is Vikings and Eagles from Philly. Uh, the Eagles a six-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. All right, we'll get to uh, some of these Jonathan Taylor calls and also, again, Anthony Richardson, a big one for the quarterback on Sunday. We'll explain more coming up on the other side. James Boyd with us again as Andy has welcomed Son Mason into the world. Um, so it'll be James Boyd and myself here the rest of the way. 93.5107.5, the fan. It's the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, if you missed it earlier, we're going to re-rack that Zaire Franklin interview coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. He was outstanding with us 
Earlier, we'll get a Texans point of view coming up with John McClain. Long time. Uh, think of the Mike Chapel of Houston. Always enjoy John McClain's extreme candor. John McClain and Paul the Mailman, both of them. Great energy, great candor. As well. You were a fan of Paul's energy, weren't you, James? Absolutely. I love it. I told you I grew up like that. We argue in our house about sports all the time. My favorite thing to do, KB, when I go home is to walk into a room full of Chicago fans, Bulls, MJ fans, tell them LeBron James is the GOAT, which I don't even believe, but I just say it, and I see the room swell with energy, and they start arguing back and forth about who did what, and I just say something outlandish like, you know, MJ played against plumbers, which he didn't, but they get all mad, and I walk out the room, and they're still yelling, and I'm like going to get something to eat and talk to my grandma, and life is good. Mark, what do you say about Paul? He delivers the mail with a hot take. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here's your bill. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> <laughs> Justin has been hanging in there with us. He had a Jonathan Taylor-related thought. Justin, good Thursday morning to you. Hey, good morning, guys. How y'all doing? We are doing great, man. How are you? Uh, doing pretty well, man. Love the show. Love y'all work, James. And uh, Mark, that collage video you did when Jake left, hey, that was hilarious. Been listening to y'all ever since. <laughs> that was so good by, by Mark. Uh, Thank you. What's on your mind, Justin? Yeah, so um, I would hate to say that I'm kind of in between both, uh, just mainly because how the organization has been ran under Chris Ballard and with the situation uh, with Taylor not being offered anything, uh, we have to remember that that conversation probably started with no contract. But the issue I have with Chris Ballard saying the four wins, what about no division titles, one playoff, um, and those things? And he got an extension. Frank Wright got an extension. It's a great point. Um, and also, I, I believe we're also paying Matt Ryan to sit and talk on TV and I would also believe that Frank Wright is still getting paid, if I'm not mistaken. So it's those things to me where if you have the best player that's important to your team, not to the rest of the NFL, not a Saquon Barkley, um, not the 49ers running back, but the guy that's important to your team, I think is worth that conversation to let him know that, yes, it's not the four wins. And, yes, those four wins are not just your fault. Offensive line, bad quarterback play and all of those other things. But I think Chris Ballard needs to be more on the hook for getting an extension with his bad GM parts as well. Justin, terrific. Call more often. Uh, I thought that was something I really haven't heard in regards to this situation, James, and it probably adds to Taylor's frustration of, again, there is past precedent in this organization where, and in Justin's case, the head coach and the GM, yeah, um, earning extensions where their resume would fall in, what, the middle to back half of the NFL? I'm trying to think. That was right before the 2021 season. Um, in Ballard's case, obviously, you still haven't won a division title. Um, you had won one playoff game up to that point. I think when you see head coach GM extensions, they typically are, you know, whatever. Cincinnati's made their runs recently, and they've gotten it. Or, you know, the Kansas City, you know, Philadelphia – Regime. I even think maybe Tennessee got one when Mike Vrabel and them were the number one overall seed in the AFC. Again, these are things the Colts haven't sniffed. Um, so I think that's what adds to it. It's that um, you have set this precedent as an organization where guys that have not met the level of play that Taylor has met, or in Justin's case, Reich and Ballard, that I think is what really, really frustrates Taylor. Yeah, and I think that 
the four wins comment toward the end of that press conference was one that probably stings a little bit for JT because he's probably feeling like, hey, I went out there and played the 11 games that I did when I was hurt. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, 100%, but I went out there and did that for you all because I cared about my team that much. And then I turn around this offseason, you're telling me you're not going to offer me anything. And I get it. The Colts could always come back a year from now and say, you know, hey, here's the money you've been asking for. But I believe you or someone else asked, hey, is the franchise tag off the table? Did you did you discuss that? And Chris Ballard was like, you know, he, he in one hand he said, we did, we haven't used it. On the other hand, he said it's a tool. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. in my mind, in in today's NFL, from a in a vacuum, it is smart to use the franchise tag on a running back, on a star running back. It is smart to do that. Mm-hmm. But if you have one that's so dug in as this one, I don't know how you get through it where it's um, a working relationship because right now it's not. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the the franchise tag point. As we know organizationally they haven't used it since McAfee in 2013 he was pissed when when he got it from from Grigson so imagine how JT would be (laughs) (laughs) and and obviously the counter to that would be it's collectively bargained sorry about you I agree yes I'm glad he pointed that out too yes and that's Josh Jacobs and what Saquon Barkley are dealing with right now my hesitancy with the franchise tag is this James we have to I think acknowledge how the Colts have spent the Colts have not they have spent in a very frugal manner and if you are throwing the franchise tag on him and that franchise tag starts to rise, wouldn't that lead to more hesitancy in spending? That's where my concern comes into this. And this gets back to the Luke Rhodes thing. And I know like it's a long snapper at the end of the day. But and again, I don't know this, but it's a thought that I have is the amount of money they're they're paying Matt Gay at kicker or paying Luke Rhodes at long snapper or insert some of the other. Uh, amounts of money that they're that they're paying guys at other positions. Does that get the Colts in a room and create pause about paying other guys or being active in free agency? Because if that is creating pause, then that is the issue that I would have in that case of, yeah, man, you know, we were allocating all this money over here, and you know, we're we're, we're investing in a kicker, and we're investing that money in a in an off ball linebacker. We can't go spend on that wide out. We can't go for that veteran yeah. tight end. If that Lord. is the case, and again, if you do the franchise tag, that's going to rise. I've said all along, front load the Taylor deal while you have this cap space now. So then you get to the back end of this Taylor, supposedly multi-year extension, and you aren't in as big of a financial crunch, if you will. Uh, that's kind of how I view it. I hope that makes sense, but that's how I look at the whole franchise tag debate and if that would create more hesitancy in spending because it's not like the Colts have needed a whole lot of hesitancy in spending. They've just done that throughout the Ballard era. I agree, but I also think that it could be their way of saying, can this guy come back and be who he once was? Can so you think it's him? more of a physical debate? It could be. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how hurt. No one knows how hurt he is, but Jonathan Taylor. And I think what's interesting about the conversation we've had about his ankle is – it's it's nothing about a procedure going wrong or a rehab going wrong. We've asked, has he re-aggravated anything? No one said anything on that front. The term that was used is pain. And the only person who can determine how much pain you're in is you. So much gray area with that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can come I can come in and say anything. Oh, I'm in pain. I can go to the doctor right now and say, Hey, I got I'm in pain. 
they're going to ask me what, like how, what, like you cannot define that definitively. So I think that gray area that you alluded to has allowed this to kind of carry on and be this cloud over the team. But at some point, rubber is going to meet the road. And as contentious as we think this has been, it's going to become more of that if, again, you have a player who you at some point might think is healthy and he's like, I'm just not going to play, but I still want my money. And so I think that's going to be a whole different, you know, conversation that could arise um, by week five. So we'll see. But I thought Justin's point was great about, you know, hey, Chris Ballard's been rewarded. The, the, but, the, but then also that is sometimes how things go. You know what I mean? Like the the owner decides that the GM gets an extension. The owner decides if a coach gets an extension, which is frustrating to Taylor because Taylor would say, "My resume says that I have the best yards per carry that any running back in the NFL has had through three seasons." And the GM's resume says, "I haven't won a division title and I've won one playoff game in six years." Yet he's the one extended through twenty twenty six, and Taylor's the one that is in a lame duck. And I hear all of that, and you say, "Hey, tough." Yep, can't say, I don't, can't say I don't, that word on no. air, but. That's what it is. That's the reality of being a player in the NFL. And, and and I talked about it yesterday, you and Mark. It helps when your boss likes you. So if Jim Irsay, for whatever reason, liked Chris Ballard enough to extend him, that's between him and Chris Ballard. Your situation, you shouldn't compare it to that. Now, you can. I know I thought I probably would if I was in his shoes. I'd feel the same way. But there has to be some sort of look in the mirror moment where you realize – your position is just not theirs, and as unfair as it might be, it's reality. And to, as Chris Ballard alluded to, a lot of this has been collectively bargained. Your players' union agreed to this, and we've talked about this. Um, I believe I talked about this with Jimmy Cook a few weeks ago on here on the Midday Show, or what is it, Curian Company now, I'm sorry. It's, it's to a point where I feel like of all the player associations – the NFL mops the floor. The owners mops the floor with their players' association more than any other league in America. Yeah, and that's the Michael Lombardi point, I guess, from from yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. And, and and there's no way that the owners give that power up. We actually to kind of pivot to it on a tangent. We saw that with some of the turf versus grass debates. Now we've had serious discussions about okay, how feasible is it in certain climates, certain areas. But in theory, there are more teams out there, more facilities out there that should have turf. I'm not, I'm not saying not, not should have turf, should have grass to protect their players. And you know the owners won't do it? Because they don't have to. They don't, they're, they're never going to volunteer to do those things. So it is what it is. On the other side, I do want to get to Anthony Richardson and Sunday for him and why this one I think means a little bit more and, and kind of throw that back at uh, what he faced in college in a Week 2 game last season, how he reacted to that. Uh, and then coming up at 9 o'clock hours, I have Franklin and John McClain. We'll get a Texans point of view on the opponent coming up on Sunday. James Boyd with us. I'm Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton. As always, it's a wake-up call with KB and Andy here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. It's the wake-up call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, if you missed it, we're going to play the um, Zaire Franklin interview coming up at 9 o'clock. Great with us earlier, per usual, so I hope you guys enjoy that. If you missed it earlier, something James and I definitely wanted to get to today was Anthony Richardson and um, what I think inevitably um, he's going to be feeling on Sunday and facing C.J. Stroud and Obviously, C.J. Stroud taking two spots before Anthony Richardson in the draft. By all accounts, both of these guys are very close. They got close through, you know, even some of the high school like late camp process mm-hmm. and, and and the draft as well. But 
I bring this up, James, because you know we heard Anthony share a story this time last year, actually, where after week one of the college season, uh, he was the Heisman darling. Everyone was talking about him. Florida beat Utah. He rushed for three touchdowns in the game winner. He completed 70% of his passes. Obviously, he's a highlight reel. That jump, spin, throw to the back of the end zone. Right. I mean, certainly social media was a buzz, and, and just the college football world was going crazy over him. Week two for Florida last year was Will Levis and the Kentucky Wildcats. And Anthony, I thought, was very honest in saying he got to that week and thought to himself, oh bleep, I've got to play well. Like, he knew what was at stake. He realized that the NFL prospect was on the opposing sidelines and it was the first SEC game of the year and all of those things. And um, he better deliver. And to say he didn't deliver would be an understatement. He was terrible in that game. He struggled throwing it. He turned the ball over. He didn't run it very well, which obviously is a surprise considering you know, his, his physical gifts. Um, and after the game, James, I thought he was pretty honest in saying like that was kind of a big mental wake-up call for him. So I bring that up to say, I know it's not the exact same situation with C.J. Stroud on Sunday, but clearly there is some sort of sentimental, emotional connection with the opposing quarterback. There has and, to be. And how does he handle that? Does he put more pressure on him this week? Like That is something that I think we won't obviously tangibly be able to see. Hopefully Richardson will share that. Uh, but it didn't go well for him last year. How will he handle it this year? No, and I think this is the key to him having a mental coach. And actually, after that Kentucky game, in which I have the stats here, 14-35 passing for 143 yards, two picks, and six carries for 12 yards in a 26-16 loss. And that was at the Swamp. 90,000 fans. You're on top of the world in week one. Yeah, NFL scouts galore. Yep. And you go out there and you lay an egg. and You have the worst game, one of the worst games of your life up until that point. And so all that to say... That, I think, really shook his confidence, and he was candid about that with us, KB, when we sat down and talked to him um, a few weeks ago at this point. And he said that he went and, and, and talked to his family, talked to his mentors, and they were like, hey, man, we think you need to talk to somebody else and kind of get that out and sort of get that weight off of you. And so he's been talking to his uh, mental coach, Brett Led- Ledbetter. I think, think I'm saying yep, the last uh-huh. name right. And they've been sort of a tandem for the last, since that moment for about a year now. And he's having frequent sessions with him. And I think that's really cool in a way because you don't hear about quarterbacks admitting that something is hard because they're expected to be, you know, the perfect answer every time, the perfect poise every time. You handle everything with class. And I'm not saying he didn't, but I think him saying something is hard out loud is kind of refreshing because it is hard for a 21-year-old. But I will say this, and I'll ask you this, KB. I'm not sure how much more the pressure is different, at least for him, because I cannot imagine being the Gainesville kid playing at Florida. Yep. You're on top of the world week yep. one. You come out and lay an egg in front of 90,000 people at the Swamp. Wearing Tebow's number. And as I've talked to with other college players over the years, you're not secluded from the public as much you know, as a professional athlete. If he comes out here and stinks it up, you know, in week two, and for Colts fans out there, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm just saying if it does, whatever. It's hypothetical. Um, and he he just goes home. We, the general public doesn't see him out. You still got to go to class. You still got to go around campus when you have a bad game. And I think that is 
what adds to it. He was even telling us, you go to the store and someone's like, man, this is rough. You know, hey, what'd you do this? And he has to deal with everyone scrutinizing him. So I think he's in a better spot than he was last year and he won't put too much pressure on himself to play perfect. Yeah, and these I think are just inevitable quarterback moments where you compare yourself to the guys that are drafted around you, to the guys drafted above you, certainly. He'll see Bryce Young later in the year. He'll see C.J. Stroud a couple times. Yeah, so I think it's all like natural human competitor instincts. Um, But again, by his own admission, he did not handle it well a year ago. Now, how does he handle it? Admittedly, a much different experienced guy some 365 days Later. All right, coming up at the 9 o'clock hours, I air Franklin, John McClain, and we'll close out shop with the pop quiz later today. I'm Kevin Bowen, James Boyd from The Athletic. With us, Mark Dykton on the ones and twos. It's the wake-up call. KB and Andy here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fam. It's the wake-up call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Nine o'clock hour here. It is absolutely beautiful outside. Zaire Franklin, that interview, we're going to re-rack coming up here in a few minutes. For those that missed it earlier, Zaire on with us at 7.30 this morning, I think per usual. Uh, always a great chat with him off of his 18-tackle performance. Uh, and then John McClain with the Texans at 9.30. James, where do you fall on Sunday? You think one-point spread, does that make sense to you? How do you kind of view this uh, this matchup? It makes sense to me. I don't think that Colts a slight favorite. Yeah, they're one and a be, half. Yeah, they shouldn't be like a heavy, heavy favorite, but they should be the favorite going into that game. And like I said earlier, you cannot go winless against Houston this year. I don't care about rebuilding. You know, wins and losses don't matter. These wins and losses do because I think that is a reflection of your approach and maybe whatever you're building here with Shane Steichen. Yeah, and I don't think you want to get used to and or accepting of losing. And I don't think like they're there um, no. at all. But you know, it was a really poor team in the fourth quarter last season. They did struggle in the fourth quarter on Sunday. You don't want that to become the norm. And I don't think I'm going to get too ranty about wins and losses many weeks this season. But when you've had such utter pathetic results in the AFC South over the last year plus now, um, it's hard for me to ignore that. Again, the Colts have won one of their last eight AFC South games. Again, we are talking about the AFC South, the true to true TV of AFC divisions here. <laughs> and it's, I think, such a 180, James, from not only where this organization was within the division back in the 2000s with obviously Peyton and company, but I mean, remember in the Pagano Grixon era, they won 16 straight AFC South games at one point. And I think, in reg- I don't know if Houston is in this boat just yet. M- maybe not. But, James, Tennessee and Jacksonville. There's no fear of the Colts anymore. There used to be that. I mean, there used to be like the, you'd go to those road venues and they'd be like, oh God, here comes the big bad bully of the division and there's no chance we're going to win this game. That's gone. I mean, Tennessee and Jacksonville, they don't feel that at all. Um, I I don't know about Houston just yet, uh, but that is something you need to try and recreate if you can. Absolutely. And I think Stephen Holder, we had him on yesterday, he said it when you all covered Andrew Luck in the early years. He went down Tennessee, went down to Jacksonville. It was like, all right, this is going to be a win because that's how he approached it. And that's really what happens when you have a great quarterback. He changes the math, changes the dynamics, changes everything as far as 
your ability to win a lot of games because he's just that good when you have a dude. And so I told you earlier this week, I think that Trevor Lawrence could be that new guy on the block, but I think in in condition in addition to Houston, like you said, Tennessee will also be a test because Tennessee on paper isn't all that talented either. But will they out bully you again? Because that's what they've done the last few years, where it, it hasn't even been pretty, and they haven't you know been necessarily more talented. It's just we're gonna out will you and out Mike Vrabel you. And yeah, so that has to be point. irritating. Yeah, it goes back to the uh, and we have Matt Ryan audio. Mark from earlier when yeah. uh, you had the Titans leading by what two scores at halftime of that game Frank Reich took the approach of we have Matt Ryan Mike Vrabel took the approach of he sounded like Paul the mailman and how fired up he was with, we have Matt Ryan with <laughs> the, 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 their yeah. their situation and their hunger alright um, let's play that Zaire Franklin interview for those that missed it earlier Zaire hopped on with us I thought it was outstanding we'll re-rack that now Zaire Franklin with us earlier the young ants um, blessed the whole team with their Apple headphones. Uh, so definitely shout out to Ant. Uh, appreciate it. Um, well needed. You know, a couple of different colors. A lot of guys was uh, fighting over those colors. Um, obviously, he uh, created a little controversy, but but it's all love and all good. Though. Definitely appreciate young Ant uh, for the for the gifts. Well, it was funny. I I probably should have been a little bit clearer and a gift. You know, I was a little tongue in cheek with that. It sounded like the NFL maybe wanted to uh, make sure that everything was uh, <laughs> in line with your performance on Sunday from the old uh, the old drug test that was waiting for you as well. Yeah, proudest drug test I guess I think I've ever taken in my in my <laughs> life. Um, I took it as a compliment, um, but uh, I don't know if I want to continue to be complimented that way. So, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Zaire, when you look at your performance, and then obviously Shaq Leonard coming back, EJ Speed making some big plays, what do you think of the growth of this linebacker room since you've been here and just the brotherhood that you all have created for yourselves? Uh, I mean, no, I feel like, you know, our room, just, you know, the energy and just the mentality that we bring, um, even, you know, with the young guys, uh, Grant, Shigu, and Cam, excuse me, coming along too as well. I mean, I just feel like, you know, just from a defensive standpoint, you know, we just make all the plays. You know, we hold ourselves to the highest standard. You know, I feel like when you've had the success in our room that we've had over the years, you know, our standard is the best, period. You know, and I feel like that's just something that we all, you know, take personal and we all, you know, do our part and, you know, bring it to the table um, from myself, Speed, and D. Leonard. So I watched the clip where you and DeForest Buckner broke down the most bizarre play I've seen since covering the NFL. Only been here for a year and change. But can you explain, because Gus Bradley were saying you are the person, you are the culprit in practice who annoys the offense because you never let a play actually end. And can you talk about that mentality and carrying it over to a game where it actually mattered? We might need the dump button, by the way, if Zaire is going to repeat the word that yeah, he yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean, clean. FCC. On Sunday, post game. <laughs> no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. But, uh, no, nah, I mean, to be honest, you know, when I play, you know, I just I just want to play with, like, relentless mentality. You know what I mean? For, to me, it's all about finish. And, um, you know, especially I know how, you know, playing for so long and seeing so many different plays. Look, the ball, you know, it usually get loose towards the end of the you know play when, you know, players relax and stuff like that. So, um, for us, it's all about finish. That's all we preach. Um, that, you know, that's just kind of the standard I hold myself to every single play, every single day. Um, so, you know, obviously just, you know, when the ball, you know, was dropped, I was going to scoop the ball, um, you know, and then just that being said, I, we have that mentality out there that that's our ball. So, you know, regardless, whether it's a loose ball, dead ball, anything, um, anytime we have opportunity to get the ball in our hands, 
we're going to go for it. So, um, obviously, seeing him holding the ball, um, I put a little extra sauce on it just because. <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, you know, I was just, you know, not only just, you know, finishing and trying to be relentless on the field, but also just maintaining that mentality as a defense that, first off, that's our ball. Our job is to take the ball away regardless and two is just, yeah, I know I feel like you just want to create that presence out there. You want to create that that energy to offense know that like they understand who's running who's running the show. They just out there. And again, uh, for those out there, maybe hold your tongue and say Apple. I, I believe that's what Zaire <laughs> called himself <laughs> on Sunday in, in reference to a little bit of post. Well, I shouldn't say post whistle because the whistle hadn't blown, but a, a little bit of uh, emphasis on that. He is Zaire Franklin. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Zaire, I often struggle with this, so I, I I love your insight into like how you evaluate yourself individually in a game. Like I see 18 tackles, and that's eye popping to me. I also feel like within those 18 tackles, I thought there were just some big time plays you made in space and almost out on an island. Obviously, the the punching out of the ball. So when you break down your game, when you evaluate yourself, grade yourself after a game, what are like the things that you look for in saying, okay, that was a good game for me? Um, honestly, uh, for myself, it's just, you know, playing fast. And I could tell, um, I'm trust, I feel like my biggest thing for me and the thing that I, I try to work on the most is just trusting myself, you know, trusting my instincts, trusting my preparation. Um, and I think I could always see that when I go back and watch a game and I watch a performance that, um, you know, was very productive um, when I'm playing fast, when I'm trusting myself, when, you know, I see something and I just go, I'm not hesitating. And, um, and I feel like that's just when I get the best version of myself. You know, obviously, even within the 18 tackles, I still felt like, you know, it was a bunch of plays that I, I wish I made. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about getting a win. So you just think about the plays that you could have had or the plays you could have did better that could have helped move this closer to our, our goal of winning a game. But, um, you know, I mean, it was week one. It's definitely something to build on. And, you know, just trying to really get that rolling and keep going in Houston this weekend. For a linebacker, is tackles like an accurate statistic, you think, uh, in terms of, like, performance, or can it be misleading? Well, I think, you know, I think it's twofold. I mean, you know, my first linebacker's coach, he used to always tell us, um, you know, a linebacker's job is to hit the ball every play. And, you know, I feel like, uh, tackles more times than not is a, a statistic about you know a whether you're around the ball and b just about hustle and finish because a lot of tackles you you see a lot of people get a lot of tackles just because of hustle you know whether that's you know behind the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage or 20 yards down the field so for me it's just like tackles is more of an in, uh, indication of how much you was around the ball um, but that being said you know the more tackles that you get the more likely that eventually two or three of them are a TFL or, you know, one of them is a sack or even, you know, another forced fumble or something too. So, um, I mean, I think it's definitely an indicator for sure, but I think we are judged by, you know, our ability to take the ball away. And um, I was just, you know, happy that I got a chance to do that on Sunday. So you mentioned yesterday, I thought this was interesting, that you are nervous for every preseason opener, every first contact of the season because you put it like, you know, I got to see if it still works. <laughs> so when you have that mentality and you you know haven't had you know that major injury or you know Shaq for instance having the the back surgeries and the the concussion and things like that what is it like as a teammate to see him come back and you know as, as you and, and EJ kind of phrase it spin on, on the field man it's uh it's uh it's, it's it's emotional to be honest with you um you know just understanding everything that he went through all the battles that 
he had to fight and continues to fight, um, you know, just to get back to, to being the place that he loves. Um, it's obviously a powerful situation, um, you know, and a great moment for him. And, uh, you know, I, like I tell him every day and, you know, I always let him out, know I'm out there with him, you know, and I got your back no matter what. You know, you ain't got to do this alone and you're not out here alone. And, uh, you know, just continually just trying to pour into him and, you know, just like I said, let him know that we all out here together because, you know, our defense is rolling. You know, we get him, you know, get him with that confidence and that swagger and that maniac all the way back, man. It's, uh, it's going to be a top defense for sure. So I know you all take the game serious, that's obvious, but there is a bit of comedic relief, I feel, in the locker room because I think your group and probably the DBs are the loudest, the funniest, always cracking jokes. I wake up at 2 a.m. hearing Tony Brown's voice. <laughs> uh, so, shame, shame. I feel bad for you for that. <laughs> so what is it like with you, EJ, who I think is hilarious, you know, Shaq having his you know, moments, just, just kind of bonding in that way and sort of providing that throughout a long season? Man, it's necessary. I mean, because first and foremost, if you can't make fun of each other and yourself, I mean, it's going to be a long season. I mean, that's first and foremost. But, man, you when you got guys who've uh, just played in, in so many different type of games, who've won and lost so many different ways, like myself, Kenny, uh, Speed, D. Leonard, Buck, Grove, I mean, at a certain point, it just you got to just laugh at some time. But I feel like that's just a, a example of just kind of like the type of energy that we have this year, you know, on this team. I mean, obviously we're a very young team, a lot of young guys in there. But, you know, I feel like the young guys, they bring that good energy. They hungry, they humble, um, and they just don't take it too serious. I feel like once you start taking it too serious, you got to remember what they say, it's a kid's game for a king's ransom. So at the end of the day, we out here living our life, um, proud and blessed to be amongst a, a great group of men, you know, trying to achieve a goal. So, like, at the end of the day, you know, we just got to be able to enjoy this time, embrace these moments because, you know, some, you know, it ain't going to last forever. So we just be out here trying to have fun, man, just trying to enjoy each other and at the same time hold each other accountable. Sire, last one. Appreciate your time here on this Thursday morning. Gus Bradley had an interesting comment, I thought, on Tuesday in, in describing you and, and your role within the defense. He said kind of in year one, um, he felt like you were running the defense, and now here in year two, he feels like you own the defense. How would you describe you owning this defense? Man, um, you know, first off, that's a great quote from uh, Coach, but um, I definitely feel like, you know, this year coming in is just, man, it's just is the power that, you know, a year makes um, – is is amazing. Um, just coming in, just the amount of comfortability that I have, especially compared to last year this time. Um, and, you know, I'm a student of the game. You know, I study, you know, uh, Gus and his history. Uh, I study how other teams are attacking us, and I study myself a lot as well. So, and I feel like you could just feel that confidence coming out. Is just, you know, like I said, going through so many different situations last year um, and having that season under our belt, it was just a lot of growth, you know. Um, and I feel like it's not only just for myself, but for a lot of guys on this defense, you know, uh, the steps that Buck is making or and Grove and even Quiddy, you know, those guys – um, and Kenny as well, just just being that second year in the system, not having to learn so much, and you can focus less on yourself and more on what the other team is doing, just gives you so many more steps ahead. But, you know, I definitely feel that growth coming. Um, I feel it, you know, even in OTAs, just in my comfortability, me and Gus's relationship, we have a great line of communication of when he needs to get something from me and I need to get something from him or for the guys. So, um, you know, I just trying to continue that growth and, you know, just lead by example and continue to be the guy that this defense needs. 
When the drug test is waiting for you, it's probably a good thing. Well, that's crazy. And that means you had a hell of a performance, and that's exactly what Zaire Franklin did on Sunday. Zaire, uh, great work in week one. Um, I know the win is something that you certainly have on your mind here in week two. Safe travels down to Houston, and uh, good luck, man. Thanks for the time. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys having me. Okay, thank you to Zaire Franklin, uh, who joined us earlier. James, I said this after we wrapped up in the 7 o'clock hour, but I think it's worth repeating. You know, the fact that he signed that second contract a couple of years ago and since then his play has ascended to infinitely higher level. You know, he was really just a special teamer until he yep. signed that contract extension and the Shaquille Leonard injury situation lingered and he was needed to play a ton of defensive snaps and he has taken that and has become one of your more important players without question on your football team. Uh, kudos to him for that. Absolutely. And like I said, his journey is incredible. I wrote about it a few months ago in The Athletic. And after getting to know him, because this had been a story I worked on since maybe last November. And so over a course of months, we talked pretty much every Friday in the locker room about his upbringing, his circumstances, his drive, his motivation. And then you understand the things he's went through. You realize, oh, this is why he's not satisfied with getting that second contract he probably won't be satisfied with anything until he's done. And so um, it's been really cool to see him develop. And it also provides, I think, a certain level of inspiration to the other players in the locker room because, you know, I asked Jalen Jones, for example, making the 53-man roster as a seventh-round pick, you know, what is it like to lean on a guy like Zaire? And he's like, man, we look at him as like a big brother, as, as, as sort of that, you know, um, person that's going to keep us in line and give us the game, so to speak, give us the advice, the perspective, the blueprint of how to get here, stay here, and thrive here. And so that is something you need in the locker room. And I think it's even cooler that Zaire, as leadership-driven as he is, alluded to Anthony Richardson being a great leader and someone that they can rally behind. And, you know, Zaire's not going to BS anything, KB. He's going to tell it like it is, and they're following AR, and it seems very natural for that team. So I think collectively they have to feel good about the leadership in that locker room. And again, James's story on Zaire was back in May after losing his biggest fans. Colt Zaire Franklin put all my pain into the game, and that is in quotes, put all my pain into the game. A great read on who Zaire Franklin is and how he has gotten to this point in year six as an unquestioned leader for the Colts. Um, as we look ahead to um, the rest of the week, certainly curious injury situation, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, again, the DEFCON meter as guys start to miss practice. It just kind of rises each day. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world by any means that Nelson and Smith weren't out there on Wednesday, but that'll be something to watch for today, practice number two, and then tomorrow, the final practice of the week. Zach Moss did um, become a full participant in practice last week. He was limited all three days, right, last week? So I would think that is a good sign for him. And this gets back to a conversation we had a little bit earlier, James. I'm curious, does Zach Moss in the lineup, does that create running back competency? Or is this more of an offensive line thing? And how does that unfold on Sunday? Is it just you need a better running back in there? Or is this much more of a run-blocking issue than a running back issue? I wrote about this actually a couple of days ago. It's Their running run-blocking wasn't badly statistically 
According to the advanced data, I know I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. I got to look at it every occasionally to kind of see with my eyes and also kind of back it up with the data or vice versa. But all that to say, I think it's a combination of both. You need a better running back in there. Zach Moss is that, as you refer to, the tree trunks help. And then also when it comes to... He does have tree trunks, man. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get KB. I'm going to ask Zach Moss his I, workout I, plan and be like, hey, can you help my boy KB out and I, I, get you right? I hope he doesn't get... Do you think he would take that as a compliment? I think he would. Yeah. I think. I mean, if you're running back and you work out every day, you don't work out every day to, to get told right. you don't have. Yeah, to have my legs. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think or it's your legs. Oh, I not mean, at all. Geez. I mean, goodness, if you had mine, you would not be getting up <laughs> after every play and in those uh, big piles. But I think it's a combination. You need Zach Moss in there, a better running back than what you've had in Week One, and then also I think they're still learning how to block with a quarterback that has so much run or pass optionality. Yeah, it's a much different game. system than they have. Yeah, so season. it's not just, okay, last season with Matt Ryan, we called a run play, we're only going to run block. You're in a situation where you're often having to react in real time to whatever Anthony Richardson does, whether he keeps it for himself, puts it in the belly of Zach Moss this weekend, or pulls it and throws it. All those things sort of change how you block. I think that's something that cannot be, you know, an expert, you know, uh, uh, you know, just continuity synergy. Come week one, it probably takes a couple weeks to get it in, in, in the right direction. Mark Dykton, do you want to play the random college game with Zach Moss? Sure. Where do you think Zach Moss went to college? My my hint would be we have mentioned this school on today's show. Oh boy, third round pick Zach Moss out of said university. He's also in a contract year, like JT. You've mentioned this college today? We have, yes. Just very briefly, um, in regards to Anthony Richardson. I don't know if that helps the situation at all. Good hint. Probably because I know the answer. But <laughs> Florida International. Utah for Zach Moss. Utah, Florida Utah, Utah being the game that Anthony Richardson obviously had a great, great debut in, or I should say first game last season for the Gators there. So, yes, as James points out, Zach Moss in a contract year. And this opportunity, it might just be for three weeks. We'll see how it unfolds. But this is not really an opportunity he ever got in Buffalo. And maybe he didn't earn it, frankly, in Buffalo because they've had some running back issues with Josh Allen. But um, we'll see if the opportunity rises for him. All right, let's do a quick morning check down before we get to John McClain. The morning check down. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, let's start with some baseball. Mark, you've been such a good supporter and friend of the Reds all day today. You got one more in you? Sure. Oh, boo! (laughs) You got two. It's unbelievable. There you go. Stay your ground, Mark. Don't Mm -hmm. look now, but here come the Red Legs, baby. They are currently (laughs) tied for the final wildcard spot. That is with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Giants and the Marlins a half game back. Mark, your nerves over your Cubs? Uh, not too great, but a big series coming up this weekend against the Diamondbacks. That That is a big one. So if you're a Reds fan, right, you have to cheer for Chicago, correct? I believe so, yeah. Gosh, the Reds got one more today with the Tigers. That is a day game, 110, and then they travel to take on the Mets here coming up this weekend. Uh, James Boyd, what stood out to you injury report-wise for the Colts yesterday? No Anthony Richardson on it, which is a plus. You know, Shane Steichen did say that he had some 
you know, knee bruise, knee soreness, ankle soreness, those sorts of things. But he wasn't on the injury report, which is a good sign for his health. Got to get down, take less hits, as Trevor Lawrence alluded to. As far as the rest of the guys on their actual report, Quinn Nelson with the toe was out. Drew Ogletree with the concussions on the protocols was out. Braden Smith, knee slash ankle, he was out. And then Zach Moss, forearm, full participant. I think obviously two of your starting offensive linemen being on the injury report, not practicing is not ideal for a Wednesday. But we'll find out later today how serious those things are. What was Braden banged up with in the spring? I'm trying to think back. Was it for some reason I feel like everybody had a hamstring issue? Honestly, I couldn't tell you because it was long ago, yeah. my friend. I could not but, tell you with any certainty. But Blake Freeland got multiple weeks in there when we were watching them yeah. in the spring. And um, Brayden, and he, yesterday, he's the rookie out of BYU. In the locker room, he was kind of like stepping and and turning and twisting really slowly and weirdly. And I honestly thought he was just breaking in some new cleats. That was my thought. I didn't think anything about injury-wise, but maybe yeah. that was him trying to see how far he could bend or twist or whatever. But that was something that was a little bit odd to me, and I thought it was just, hey, new sneakers. But no, obviously it probably might have been a little injury-related. But again, everyone, woosah, relax. It's, it's, it's Thursday. We'll find out later today if they practice today. If they don't practice today, then I'm like, okay, you can kind of get a little sure. fancy. And again, a lot of youth in that offensive line depth. Thank you to Lara Overton. She just texted me and said, Zach Moss, uh, college teammates with Julian Blackman. Kind of forgot about that. I never knew that. I can't even say I forgot about it. I won't lie on air. I had no idea. So Julian will be getting a question to me about that, and I'll ask one of Zach Moss as well. Same same draft class, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, because Julian's Both are in a contract here. Yep. Yeah, both are in year four. Dang. And boy, they had to be drafted pretty close to each other. Yeah. Third round picks. As well. All right, on the other side, let's get more to the Houston Texans with one of our favorites, John McClain. He joins us next. It's a wake-up call. KB and Andy, James Boyd filling in here on a Thursday. Five the band. It's the wake-up call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. We got the queen bringing us back here. From Mark Dykeson. He's native. Beyonce knows. I was going to say. A job? The USA Today has a job. The Beyonce Covers reporter. Covers Beyonce, and it's right? it's remote. So you could just be anywhere in the country. There's Beyonce. a Taylor Swift one also. They're yeah. going for the big fan bases. So you got the queen of Beyonce. I'd call our next guest the king. He is the one and only John McClain. One of our favorites. Think of the Mike Chapel of Houston. He joins us now. John, always good to hear your voice. How are things? Things are great. Mike might be insulted by that, but uh, I would be honored <laughs> to be in the same sentence with Mike, who I've known for decades. Who's more handsome? Oh, it's uh, Todd. Mike is by far. That's you got to take a dig at him. The NFL has been one of the most handsome media people in history. <laughs> John McLean's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. John, we always appreciate your candor with us. The Houston Texans, the expectations this year are what? Uh, they last year, of course, were three thirteen and one at a victory over the Colts, and then the tie with the Colts this year. I picked them to go six and eleven in Debico Ryan's his first season. They have some really good young talent on this team, starting with C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson Jr., Derek Stingley Jr., Jalen Petrie, and they need another year, another off season with a draft and uh, free agency when they should have like. $100 million to, available to spend. Nick Casario, the GM, who's in his third year of this rebuild, 
he has not been in a position yet to sign any expensive free agents. He has not given a contract to a free agent of more than two years, except for one, their punter, Cam Johnston, who won't play because he's on injured reserve with a hamstring injury. So I think next year we'll see what happens this season under D'Amico Ryan's people are really fired up because he wanted to come here and come back to Houston. And so he has ignited the fan base, the media, the former players. Everybody is behind D'Amico Ryan's, but they're very realistic. They know it's not a playoff team. They know they're going to battle the Colts, maybe the Titans, for second and last place because the Jaguars may run away with the division. But people have hope. They didn't have hope. Uh, the last time they had hope was after the 2019 season, after they'd beaten Buffalo in the playoffs and blown a 24-0 lead at Kansas City in the divisional round. John, you talked a lot about hope there, and obviously I would think the biggest hope outside of D'Amico Ryan as the coach is C.J. Stroud. What have you seen from him and how he's handled being the face of of a franchise and hopefully someone that I think that this team, this city, would really enjoy having for a very long time and play at a high level? Uh, People here like him a lot. He's been One thing I like, he's been a very good interview. Davis Mills, who started most of the last two seasons, was a real is a really nice guy. He's the backup, but man, he would do everything he could to be boring when he talked to us. He's <laughs> proud. It's uh, uh, there's a lot more energy when it comes to meeting with the media. And one of the things that's been impressive, we all knew he was going to start. You know, D'Amico Ryan's, we call it a sham. He claimed it was competition. He waited <laughs> to, to name him as the starter before the season began, even though he started all three preseason games but Stroud has to get rid of the ball quick they are I've never seen a team have the injuries in the offensive line they do first at this point this early in the season they lost their starting center for the year in camp lost their starting left guard for the year in camp their right tackle Titus Howard short-term IR the new center a rookie he's on short-term IR they had their new right tackle who wasn't on the roster when camp began he had to leave the game Sunday. They had to use a right tackle who never played tackle. He got obliterated in the only strip sack that what uh, Stroud never had a chance. So he has to get rid of the ball fast for a reason. He didn't have an interception, didn't have a touchdown pass, let him on three field goal drives, but he's, he's very accurate. And that's one thing they like. They throw the ball to the sidelines a lot. I would imagine the Colts' corners are watching that. We'll do what the Ravens' corners tried to did, break on the ball and get a pick six, but the ball got to the receiver before the corner could get his hands on it. So it's going to be so much fun to watch Stroud and Richardson two times this season in the first of what we think will be many on my station's website, sportsradio610.com, is Texans flagship. I have a column today about Stroud talking about how much he likes Richardson, going back, known him since high school, followed him at Florida. He calls it's funny. He doesn't calls him Ant. Yeah. He said, Ant's a dog. <laughs> Ant's my man. And I love that dude and every day except Sunday. And so they have a really <laughs> good relationship. So if you think about these two teams, got a lot of good young players, but man, it's gonna be fun to watch the quarterbacks. 
John, you talked about it there. Anthony here is called Ant by some of the team mates and, and some of his people who know him from childhood. But you mentioned that offensive line. Is there anyone left in Houston to block for C.J. Stroud? Because you listed off so many guys that are, you know, got dinged up or are either out right now or have been out. Is there someone who is going to protect that young man? The left tackle, Laramie Tunsil, is their best player. And uh, he missed practice yesterday. He's questionable with something. I forgot what it is, but he'll play. They traded with Tampa Bay to bring in Shaq Mason, right guard. And Shaq Mason was not good in pass protection. He's got to play better. And so they've, they've got a lot of issues. Colts, Colts defensive line has pulverized the Texans offensive line for several years. And Chris Strasser, who came here from the Colts, you know, I know he didn't sign up to this. He's not going to say anything publicly and complain. But they thought they had their five starters in place. Tonsil last year, 15th overall pick, Kenyon Green, the left guard, second-round pick this year, Juice Scruggs, center Mason, and right tackle Titus Howard. He signed an extension in camp and then broke, suffered a broken hand the first week in camp, and he's on IR. But, you know, injuries happen, and Strasser went through that last year, so now he's here. He has got his hands full. He knows that Colts defense as well as anybody from going against him in practice and everything. But, you know, even even a blind person could see what great success the Colts' defensive line has had against the Texans' offense. Yeah, that was a big advantage for the Colts in Week 1 against Jacksonville. Certainly will be something that we'll try to duplicate in Week 2. Again, the one and only John McClain joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Long-time cover in Houston, uh, sportsradio610.com. John, I think feel like, and I'm hoping you could just kind of clarify, I feel like D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud were kind of always the odds-on favorite to be in their respective positions with the Texans, obviously head coach and quarterback, but was there ever any interest or any chatter at all in Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson, basically what the Colts have, you know, Richardson taking two spots after Stroud? There was Steichen, and they liked Steichen a lot. You know, what he did with Jalen Hurts, the Houstonian with the Eagles, was remarkable. Uh, concluding with the Super Bowl last year. They liked him two years ago, and they liked him last year. But once D'Amico Ryans told him this would be his dream job, and he played here six years, defensive rookie of the year, went to the Pro Bowl. He finished his four years in Philadelphia, but he met his wife here. The kids were born here. They got married here. They were building their dream house here. They started a home for wayward boys during the pandemic here, so he called it home. And so when he was hired at his news conference, he was very inspiring. He got fans, media, former players fired up. And I said, how come you weren't this good when you played here? And he said, well, I was, I was more deliberate then. And I've, I've grown since then. And, and he has been very inspirational. They interviewed Sean Payton. And Denver uh, made a really serious run at Ryan's. Ian Rappaport had a story even after they settled on Peyton. They made one more run at Ryan's through his agent, Jimmy Sexton, and then it was quickly disputed by the Broncos, but it was true. And a lot of people had have held him in high regard, as they did Steichen. So we're all talking about C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson being rookies going against each other a lot. 
and they'll probably be going each other a lot more than Steichen and Ryan's because, you know, they're destined at some point to get fired. But watching these two rookie coaches, one was a great coordinator, one was offensive, one was a great defensive coordinator. That's going to be a lot of fun, too. And John McClain is with us here. John, last one from me. We've talked about the offensive line, the issues there. I know you've mentioned Will Anderson Jr. Would you say that that end duo, him and Jonathan Greener, would you say that maybe is uh, where the Texans' kind of strength lies or or that could be um, uh, something the Colts need to watch out for? And Jerry Hughes, too. Jerry came home to Houston last season at 34, led the team in sacks. Now he comes off the bench in the rotation. Anderson was great in the first game, like people thought he would. I'll guarantee the game plan of the Colts is a lot about Anderson. And he and Grenard and Hughes did a really good job of setting the edge and keeping Lamar Jackson from hurting him outside. They limited him to 38 yards. And he had to run between the tackles. And, of course, Richardson's more physical runner. I think we all agree they'll be the leading. He'll be the leading rusher. It's going to be fun to watch him, but they've got to keep him from getting outside when it breaks down. And uh, they may not have both safeties. Jimmy Ward has a hip injury. Jalen Petrie has a bruised lung. They have two veteran backups. But they did a good job of pressuring Jackson, so maybe they can do the same, although – you know, the Ravens have a good offensive line, but it's struggled and had some injuries in that game. And the Colts, as long as they're healthy, you guys know they got a good offensive line, too. Again, John McClain, the one and only, an absolute legend in Houston. Always enjoy our conversations. I guess the next one probably be put on hold until the season finale here in Indianapolis. John, great to hear all as well. Uh, always enjoy hearing your voice, and thanks for making time for us. Guys, it's my pleasure. Anytime, good luck to the Colts this season. That is John McClain on the Payless Liquors Hotline. James Boyd, he brings up the name Jerry Hughes, the 31st overall pick of the Colts in 2010. Shockingly, still in the league, 35 years old. You don't see many pass rushers at 35 still playing in the NFL. No, you don't see very many people in general playing that long in the NFL because it takes a bit of luck, health, you know, situations, things like that. So we'll see what he's got left in the tank come Sunday. Three sacks, uh, excuse me, five sacks in his three seasons here in Indy. Was traded to Buffalo by Ryan Grigson. Had 53 sacks with the Bills in nine years. And he's had nine sacks in two seasons with Houston. So he's one of those stories. I know Chris Bauer has always said this. Sometimes it takes pass rushers a little while. Uh, he'd be one of the poster childs. Of that poster, children of that. I don't know what where my grammar is at here. This late in the show. <laughs> uh, one thing to point out uh, from the Baltimore game, James. Uh, Houston had one snap in that entire game inside of Baltimore's 15 yard line. I mean, they really struggled to move it, especially consistently. C.J. Stroud was sacked five times, and that's why I've been so confident with the Colts this week. Uh, listen to John talk about Houston's offensive line situation. I mean, I thought Jacksonville was banged up. Houston takes it to another level. DeForest Buckner. And Robert it's a rookie Stewart. quarterback. I mean, what does Shaq say? Barbecue chicken? You know, they got a good barbecue down in Houston. I was going to so say, yeah. That might Sounds be. like a nice little Saturday night meal for James Boyd. <laughs> might be. Might be. And it might be a good, feel for, good meal for them on Sunday. We'll see. All right, let's close it out with the pop quiz. 317-239-1070. Mark Dykton, you said earlier that question five was the hardest question you've ever seen. I don't know if it's the hardest question I've ever seen, but it's, it's a ridiculous question. Scotty is snickering, laughing at that. 
I'm pulling up question number five right now. I guess there's one of two answers. Yeah, but not a name anyone's going to pull out of the top of their head. That second, well, I mean, the first name is certainly popular. Is the second one, is that the Reds dude, the Reds announcer? No. Any relation? Whoa, he almost oh, said the answer there, the Scotty, answer. on it. Boy, I hope the hot mic didn't pick that one up. All right, give us a call. Pop quiz, 317-239-1070. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the pop quiz with KB and Andy. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, time for the pop quiz. We let off yesterday with a Purdue and Syracuse question. As we look ahead to college football this weekend, I feel like with Syracuse and Purdue, again, Syracuse a slight favorite on the road, Louisville a 10-point favorite with Indiana coming up at Lucas Oil on Saturday. I feel like both of those games kind of fall into the if you want legit bowl aspirations, you really, really need them. Indiana probably more than Purdue, but I mean, still, if Purdue enters the Big Ten with only one win, this is it, right? Scotty, this is Purdue's last non-conference game? Uh, or do they have one more? They got one more. They got one more? Don't they have Wisconsin coming up on a Friday? Yes. Yeah, again, Indiana-Louisville. I'm still surprised to see 10-point spread in that one. James Boyd, you know anything about Louisville football other than Jeff Brown? Lamar Jackson years ago. <laughs> that's about it. This is this this is a basketball game in my eyes. Louisville and IU. If you told me the, just the two schools, I'm th- assuming it's basketball. Although Louisville basketball program mm, is actually say, horrible. Louisville's right now. attempt at basketball last year was quite the sight. <laughs> um, an attempt. This is it, Scotty, is, yeah. for yeah. Purdue. They get into Big Ten play. Then after that, yeah, Indiana still got Akron next week because Indiana already played their first Big Ten game at the start of the year with Ohio State. So. Um, important games coming up after each of those programs got their first wins last weekend. All right, James Boyd, a number one through eight for the pop quiz. Three. Number three, Mark Dykton. I love his name. His name is Mark. Oh, look at this. <laughs> Mark, it's been a while, man. How are things? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Mark, I always... I want to say uh, welcome and congratulations to the new guy. Andy. Yeah, Andy. Yeah, Andy Sweeney. He welcomed uh, Mason into the world yesterday, him and his wife, Nikki. So shout out to her and and Andy as well. And uh, we've got James Boyd in with us yesterday and today. So thank you for that, Mark. Okay. Mark. I want to go with question five first. Oh, boy. Mark, in the history of the pop quiz, I don't know if we've had demands like that, but you know what? (laughs) What what Mark says, he gets. Let's start with number five, James. Happy the first time. James Boyd, you want to throw that at Mark? I will. 55 years ago today, Denny McLean of the Detroit Tigers picked up his 30th win of the 1968 season. McLean would finish with 31 wins and is the last 30-game winner in the majors. Since 1968, two pitchers have won 27 games in a season, the most since McLean. Name one of these two 27-game winners. Mickey Lowlich. That is definitely a name. That was some confidence. That was some confidence there out of Mark. Um, I I guess we just go in reverse order maybe, or should we go up to number one? Let's go up to number one, try to get on track here. Mark, IU takes on Louisville this Saturday at Lucas Oil. Who leads the all-time series in football, Indiana or Louisville? 
Mayu. There we go. Here All right. Crimson, baby. Moving on to the Minnesota Vikings face the Eagles tonight in Philly on Thursday night football. The Vikings lead the regular season series 15 to 11 and have won two of their last three regular season meetings with the Eagles. Who leads the postseason series? A, the Vikings. B, the Eagles. C, they are tied. Or D, they have never met in the playoffs. See, lock it in. Mark, what have you been up to lately? feel like we haven't heard from you in a while. Nobody ever takes my number. Well, hey, I'm here today and I got you, man. You got to talk to Mark Dykton on that. You got to talk to your namesake on that. <laughs> Come on now. All right, number three here, Mark. The Braves clinched the NL East with their win in Philly last night. It's the sixth straight NL East title for the Braves. 23rd division championship since division play began in 1969. That is the most division titles in MLB history with both the Dodgers and the Yankees second with 20 titles apiece. Which team that stinks is currently fourth on that list with 17 division titles? Is it the Cardinals, the Twins, the A's, or the Phillies? Mm. Kevin picked them. The A's. Yes. There you go. Mark didn't need any hints. He was all over that one. (laughs) You're throwing me under the bus. I thought I'd give (laughs) (laughs) it. All right, James Boyd. uh, Give Mark the last one here. On this day in 1936, Paul Weiner tied Rogers Rogers Hornsby's major league record of seven career 200-hit seasons. Pete Rose extended the record to 10 seasons in 1979. Name the player who tied Rose with 10 career 200-hit seasons. Is it A, Derek Jeter, the captain, B, Steve Garvey, C, Wade Boggs, or D, Ichiro Suzuki? Boggs. Lock it in. All right, Mark, I just I respect the hell out of him saying, give me number five first there. Um, <laughs> the, the, ones, name. <laughs> the ones that Mark got right, uh, Indiana, 2-0 in the series, Scotty, yeah, all time? correct. Yeah. 85 and 96 on the years. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Uh, the other one he got right, the Oakland A's yeah! for three. Outside of that, though, unfortunately, some slip-ups. Uh, the Eagles lead the postseason series with the Vikings. It was Ichiro, not Wade Boggs. And then the last one, which Mark wanted first, which, again, I respect so much, Steve Carlton or Bob Welch. Mark, always enjoy your voice. Thank you. You don't get to come back tomorrow. Mark Dykton, he wasn't too happy with you. I mean, we have callers, so if he gets picked, he gets picked. Sorry about just what you're saying? Yeah. I, I think Mark. they should just duke it up. That's you know? <laughs> my opinion. I always love Mark. I'm just with picturing a versus Mark with a K. I'm picturing Mark just on speakerphone in his yeah, kitchen, you, just you, pacing back and forth. Yeah, you just fight over the last those. letter. You know who spells their name right. Uh, James Boyd, thank you for the last two days. We needed you in an emergency role, so appreciate that. Not sure about Andy's situation next week, so we might be calling you again. But appreciate you. Um, Slide in the chair for us. Yeah, lack of sleep kind of wears off throughout mm-hmm. the day. But I, I'm not going to lie, KV, when we get to practice and like after like those first few interviews, I'm like, man, this is this is 
starting to hit me afternoon nap is calling your name it is calling my name but no nap no nap i got responsibilities as an adult today so no nap james and i'll be out there Colts second practice of the week uh if you missed it zaire franklin and john mcclain longtime cover of the texans zaire outstanding so that'll be up on the podcast it will be myself and mark dykton to round out the week here on friday thanks everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you tomorrow